Tip Today with Fran Curry, IMRO Radio Award Gold Winner. In association with slatterysgarage.ie. Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It doesn't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show this morning, the Krisa uh, tragedy. We'll be speaking about that in just a moment's time. Assault and intimidation in rural Ireland. We'll carry on those conversations from Friday last. Tip Today goes global, global politics with Thomas Conway. Teaching your kids how to manage their money. Good luck with that. Uh, how to stay calm and centred in times of change, and we're cent- uh, certainly uh, living in times of change, and should you change your diet after a poor night's sleep. So all of that and much, much more on the way. But first of all, this morning, there's one story that has dominated news all weekend. Of course, it's the tragic events at Creaslaw in County Donegal. And Alison Highland joins me in studio now. Good morning to you, Ellie. Good morning, Fred. Um, we're all aware of the tragic events, but just to remind listeners, what, what exactly happened, Ali? It was a, a blast, of course, we all know by now, a blast that ripped through uh, the Apple Garage in Creaslaw, which is also surrounded by a number of other business pre- and apartments. It happened at about 3.20. The response to it, of course, was immediate and what we know now is that 10 people were killed, ranging in age from 5 to 59. 10 were killed, 8 others injured, one of them still critical this morning. This words just can't describe, really, you know, how we feel, how the town feels, it's just never be the same again. Never be the same. Like we have girls up there, like sisters to us, mm-hmm. everybody and brothers, and, you know. You and Dan they nearly know what you're going to buy. You know, may they all rest in peace. We just knew them, they were like family. Everybody was Every like family, we were like related to them, you know, Dan and the girls named you. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking, we're all like, everybody's devastated. Nobody's not devastated in the parties, like, it's just so sad. Just me wee towns, me wee towns wrecked, and all the people was there. Except for two, I knew them all. God almighty, you can hear the shock there. Yeah, they were all speaking during a number of vigils, several held across Donegal last night to remember the 10 people killed. Now, all the victims have been named. Um, The focus now is on the investigation and determining the cause of the blast. From what we understand, um, of course, all avenues are being investigated, but one that is being focused on this morning is this gas storage that was at the back of the building. Um, And they're investigating whether or not this would have been the cause, whatever happened, how this was ignited. But they believe that that maybe was the source of the explosion. So that investigation is continuing this morning. Um, So to go through uh, the victims, of course, all ranging in age, like I said, all very tragic stories. Um, I suppose probably the one that really hit the headlines over the weekend and probably the most tragic of all was the death of the youngest victim and that was five-year-old Shauna Flanagan Garway who died along with her father Robert Garway. They were both killed in the explosion. They dropped into the Apple Garage just after school on Friday. She was picking up a birthday cake for her mother. It was her mother's birthday. Um, and she was an all excited child. about that, wasn't yeah. she? And yeah. an only child as yeah. well. So her mother oh, Anya right. now grieving as well this morning. Um, also... Um, 
19 or sorry 15 year old girl who was there uh, very much into sports went in with her friends to buy some sweets as well after school a lot of schools finishing early so they went in there ahead of a sleepover they were having that night the friend um, injured in hospital but did survive the blast and um, according to reports over the weekend basically had to be dragged from the scene because she was she was trying to get back in to find oh, her friend. God. So terribly, terribly tragic events. And in the vigil last night, two sons of one of the ladies that was killed there, she was a worker um, at the garage and she was killed and her sons also paying tribute last night. As I said, eight people still being treated for their injuries follow, following the explosion. A man in his 20s who is um, a partner, a boyfriend of another one of the, the young women who was killed in that. He's said to be critical at the moment. Everyone else, the seven others then, said to be um, stable today. They're all being treated at Letterkenny um, Hospital, Letterkenny University Hospital. Um, of course, a huge political response to this as well, mm. as you'd imagine. Michal Martin visited the scene over the weekend. Leo Varadkar, Mary Lou MacDonald. Um, huge political reaction. I suppose the one that was a little bit confusing was the reaction from Josepha Madigan, who yes, tweeted... that was very unusual, wasn't it? Very odd. Yeah. She tweeted uh, just after the news broke, maybe, I, I think it was maybe after half four the news broke on Friday uh, afternoon. But Josepha Madigan was very quick to put out a tweet and the tweet said, I hope no one is injured and they find the culprits. One hopes this isn't deliberate but it's yet to be clarified. Right, so she jumped to a conclusion. Completely jumped to yes. conclusion. Now that tweet was swiftly deleted mm. um, and no kind of real explanation or apology afterwards, but uh, a very strange political reaction yeah, it's to a, it's, it. It's a wonder if there was more pick-up on that, though. Hmm. You know what? I was waiting to see a bit of an outcry to it over the weekend, but there was nothing. Now I know, yeah. look, the focus is going to be on the victims and the recovery course, operation, yeah. but uh, uh, also has to be said as well, the emergency um, work who were there at the scene as well. All night um, they worked trying to pull people from the rubble um, and trying to, you know, when they were doing this as well, they were doing this under the guise of, you know, they weren't sure what caused the explosion. They were in a very unsafe environment. So the building was collapsing all around them as they were uh, embarking on this work. And there were also reports of when they would there would be silence in the village. Um, a whistle would be blown because uh, an emergency worker might hear something or, or think they heard somebody calling, so a whistle would be blown. Everything fell silent until they could try and, and, and ascertain where that noise was coming from, and then they would go to that. Um, I was actually speaking to a member of the Gardaí who's based in Letterkenny, um, who was up there, and he said you couldn't imagine what it was like up there. He said it was just horrific. But he said the the camaraderie within the community yes. was just outstanding. And minutes after the blast, actually, it's across the road from what would be to us really a co-op, mm. you know, where, where yeah. you'd get yeah. kind of outdoor and agricultural equipment. Everyone who was there ran to the scene to see what they could do as well. So, I mean, you know, the, the response to it was swift. Nobody thinking of of their own safety in the situation, just everyone trying to, to do what they could to help. It's remarkable, yeah. isn't it? Um, on Post is getting involved in terms of some fundraising, I think, Kelly. Is that is They that are, correct? that's yeah. right. What on Post have done is they have set up a fund. Um, 
what they're doing, they're asking people to, let me just get the details of it, um, they've set up a fund for this. I think there are a lot of, of various um, support funds that have been set up in reaction to this and on post as well have been quick in that. They have also set up one. Um, they're asking people to donate to, let me just get the details mm, I think it's of any that. of the offices, isn't it? That's right. You country, can pop yeah. into any of the post offices and they will have the details there. Uh, it's at all offices nationwide from today. So they're inviting the public mm. to donate to that support fund. So that will help all of the families involved. And just to give you, you know, we know... We know the number, we know that there's 10, but just to give you the names of them, Catherine O'Donnell, who is just 39, her 13-year-old son, James Monaghan, they had called in after school as well. Robert Garway, who was 50, and his five-year-old daughter, Shauna. 14-year-old Leona Harper. Jessica Gallagher, who was 24, she was killed in the apartment upstairs. Her partner now in serious condition in hospital. 48-year-old James O'Flaherty. Martin McGill, who was 49. Martina Martin, who was 49. And 59-year-old Hugh. Hugh Kelly. Now the funerals of course will be taking place as well uh, the first of those will be Jessica Gallagher, uh, 24 years of age. Her body was brought home to her uh, her home last night for her funeral later on this week and the remains of James O'Flaherty will also be removed from Letterkenny at noon today. His funeral is to take place on Wednesday. So it's going to be a very tough week for the people of Donegal and the people of Priestland. I think the 24-year-old young lady she was to to start a job today in Belfast. In in, Belfast. In in the fashion industry. I think she was uh, very heavily involved. And had worked in in Paris for a time as well. Singapore is all all over the world. And all her, her whole life laid out ahead of her in terms of an exciting life and all of that. Uh, it goes to show how fleeting short. life can be. You walk Does, into a petrol station to buy something. and yeah. Absolutely, indeed. And you make a, a quick uh, decision to do something small like that. Absolutely. And I mean, we're, we're, we're no stranger. We've seen explosions before and, and yeah, we gas explosions. Yeah, we were chatting explosions. about this uh, this morning, Ellie. Will you remind us about some of those in Tipperary? Yeah, just to focus on the ones in Tipperary. Now, we just went back a few years. I'm sure there are many more if you go back further. But a notable one was one in 1996. There was a gas explosion in an apartment on O'Connell Street in Clonmel. One woman was injured in that, um, but uh, thankfully survived and, and was, wasn't very seriously injured. Uh, there was also a man in a shower in the same apartment building who was basically blown free from that. Wow. Uh, that was in 1996. There was another in 1998 in Thurlis. One man was killed in that. In 2015 then, this was uh, an, a gas explosion on a construction site on the N7 at Ballywilliam in Nina. Uh, a man in his 40s sadly was killed in that. And in 2018, I suppose the most latest one, there was a, a gas explosion at a, a private dwelling at a house in Burncourt in South Tipperary. Nobody was was killed or injured in that, though, thankfully. Um, so it, it's it's not a rare thing, mm. but the level of of injury and and fatality in yes. this one is is what makes it stand well, out. I, obviously, as you say, details aren't known, but I presume the fact it was right beside the the Apple Green. Um, Fuel depot there as well, you know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, look, when you think of what, what could have happened, the fact that there wasn't a fire afterwards as yeah, well, I yeah. mean, it, it's incredible. Yeah, you know? isn't it just? Ellie, thank you so much uh, for that. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 83 311 Now, on Friday last, we spoke to Deputy Matthew McGraw regarding the meeting that took place last Thursday to address concerns around the spate of assaults, intimidation and crime in Rathrone and, and Lisrona areas. Now, Francis was at the meeting and uh, joins me. Now, Francis, good morning to you. 
Uh, good morning, Frank. And uh, thanks uh, for. May I just say at the outset, uh, Frank, uh, uh, from save our local community, may we extend our sympathies to those people in Donegal who have uh, suffered huge losses. Of course, because as a community. Uh, yourselves, uh, Francis, I guess you, you you know you can uh, sympathise with them in terms of a community getting together. I suppose after such a dreadful tragedy, you know. Yes, yes, uh, dreadful tragedy. Yes. Tell me about your anger and frustration because the meeting was there was a lot of anger and frustration at that meeting uh, last week, was there not? Um, there was an awful lot of anger and frustration uh, with what is going on down there. I suppose something similar to what we had in Taurus a couple of years ago. Uh, when we held our, our meeting, um, people feel that they're they're not being looked after. I suppose there's one person I spoke to after, he said, there's a law for us, but there's no law for them. I think he put it very well. Um, yeah, and, and there was talk about, you know, people being allowed to roam free in some sort of a way and break break into people's property and their homes. Well, that is constantly going on, I suppose. Um, they're, they're able to get into farmers' yards. Um, they're able to get into farmers' fields without permission uh, with dogs. And I suppose one thing we could have learned from the pandemic, Fran, is when we had travel restrictions, uh, these things weren't happening as much because these gangs were, were were not allowed to travel or were unable to travel and afraid to travel in case they'd be picked up. And I suppose one thing that came out of our meeting at the time, and I think it's, it's going to come out of the meeting in, in, um, in Monroe as well, is electronic tagging. Mm. And I think it's something that they're going to, the government is going to seriously have to look at. I mean, when but I've been hearing prepared, that for years, Francis. I've been hearing the that notion yes. that they would look at electronic tagging. tagging well, in, 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 Fitzgerald that time, and, and, and yeah. we thought we were going to get it going. But I suppose it's like everything, Fran. You, you go back years ago with the smoking ban. Uh, we thought it would never come in. It, it nearly brought down governments, but mm. it did come in. And again, in the pandemic, we saw that the HSE was under severe pressure but they were still able to put up places where we could get tested for, for COVID and where you could get vaccinated, and it worked very well. So it's the will of the, the, um, the government. The judicial system has to be reviewed. There's a lot of things that have to happen. There's a chain of events that will have to happen before more damage is done and more people are killed. And that, that will happen. There was a woman in Cork not so long ago died after um, being broken into her home. There was a man in Offaly who was beaten to within an inch of his life. And and his dog left dead beside him. And you were saying this. You were saying this to Emma Francis that you know there will be more serious consequences like that. When you see uh, that uh, you could feel the anger and the frustration and the anxiety at the meeting. That um, look, I, I know the Gardaí will 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 urge and beg people not to take the law into their own hands, but you hope that won't happen. Um, the Gardaí are doing, doing fantastic work but they just haven't the resources to do it. And we've heard all this before. Yes. And we heard at that meeting there was only 24 Gardaí trains this year. And still government will come on and announce that uh, there's a thousand more going to be done this year. Where are they going to be? And, and does that leave people then completely annoyed and frustrated at the Gardaí then, which is kind of unfair because they just don't have the resources? Have we lost Francis? I think we might. Francis, can you hear me? No, I think we've lost uh, Francis for now, so we'll uh, we'll attempt to, to get him back, and we'll just try one more time. Francis? No, we don't. We seem to have lost him. 1800-938-007. Again, if you have uh, experiences similar to that, we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts, indeed, on the intimidation and... Uh, 
the robberies going on in our communities as well. Let's go to uh, Ashling. Ashling, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. And good to talk to you. Ashling, you were a Russellstown uh, resident, and if I remember correctly about last week, you, you're slightly over the border into Waterford, is that it? That's right, yeah. So Russellstown is basically um, on the Dungarvan Road there between Camel and Ballymacarbury. Right. So we're kind of in the middle. So And what like is the area. result of that for you then, Ashling? So basically... Um, our, the result of that, well, obviously we have issues there as well. Um, our main concern would be with people coming out lamping at night time. Yes. And so basically um, there's a lot of damage done, different things like that. And when this is going on, we have the option of ringing. Uh, Dungarvan Garda Station would be within our locality. Um, it's happened time and time again. People are ringing the Garda stations with vehicle registrations. The same vehicles are in out in the area night after night. We're ringing Dungarvan, we're ringing Clamel, we're ringing both. And one in particular occasion, um, we were told when somebody rang the Clamel Guard station, they were told, well, really, Russellstown isn't our area, we need to ring Dungarvan. Now, it is extremely frustrating for people when they're sitting at home uh, in the privacy of their own home at night, and you can see this going on across the fields and across the land in different places. You're physically looking out the window at these people driving up and down the road, shining torches into your land. Into, into your, your own home, land? Into people's land, not just people's land. People's homes are being lit up at night by these torches and lamps being shone in. There's a lot of young families in the Russellstown area, my, my own family being a young family as well. These, they're young girls in their room studying at night uh, doing their homework, whatever they're entitled to do in their own room, and the whole life, the whole room is lit up night after night with these lamps being shone in. It's complete intimidation. It's completely unacceptable, and people are very angry and frustrated. On another point, there, just yes. um, I know Fran had said there earlier on, the caller ahead of me there was saying about um, farms as well. So my mm. husband is a farmer, so livestock is our livelihood basically, um, and we are dealing with this on a regular basis, this has gone on for years. It's not just a new thing that's happening, on it, as I'm sure, uh, around the country. And what's happening to um, the livestock, Ashley? So basically, we have, um, like that, there could be four or five males in one vehicle. They could have four or five, six dogs with them, and they're leaving dogs off into lands that they're not entitled to be in. They're uh, leaving dogs run wild in livestock areas where there's livestock. Um, and and why is that they're after rabbits? Is that it? Um, they will tell you they're after rabbits. What they're really after, I couldn't tell you. What these people say and what these people do are com- two completely different things. My husband, time and time again, has no choice but to go out in the middle of the night on his own. As I said, we have a young family. I'm not in a position to go with him in the middle of the night when this is going on. He has no choice but to go around in the middle of the night, 12, 1, 2 o'clock at night, checking his property, checking that gates are closed where there's livestock, and checking that the livestock are safe because, God forbid, he gets up in the morning and they're not where they're supposed to be, we are liable. And this is, we're just at nothing. We're backed into a corner. We've done everything we possibly can. There's nothing is changing. Nothing seems to be working. And what choice do we have? He has to go out and check his livestock. I'm sitting at home with a young family not knowing how long he's going to take, what kind of a mess he's going to meet when he drives up the road. Or whether or not there'll be a confrontation of some kind. Absolutely. There has been at times. Other times they will say, oh, we won't go in anywhere where there's livestock. Has he met them and confronted them? He hasn't. He wouldn't confront them. He is 
being calm and polite sure. in yeah. this is what you're up against. You have to go and politely ask these people, please don't trespass on my land. Right, we but, have but that's what I mean. He's had conversations here. with them, Ashley, oh, has he? absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and what, what are they saying to him? Oh, some occasions they will say, oh, we won't go in anywhere where there's animals. You go up the next day, there's tyre tracks all over the field. There's some gates that are locked with chains and locks. The chains and locks are gone. Electric fence is cut. Wire is cut. Animals are missing. This is just a sample of what we've experienced ourselves. Um, uh, other times they will shine the light back at my husband's face and try to intimidate him. And yet again, he's there on his own with possibly four or five males in a vehicle against him. This is what you're dealing with. And just just help us to understand this, Aisling. They, they go into the fields with vehicles. They have done on one occasion. and don't know how often that happens. There has been occasion where there is tyre tracks in the field. So, yes, they have been in the field right. on occasion. Sometimes they just stand at the roadside and send the dogs in to do the work for them. Right, but you think it's more than lamping, is it? Well, well they're lamping. They're saying they're lamping rabbits and different things like that I don't really know what they're doing to be honest the fact that they're trespassing they're driving around they have no business in the middle of the night driving around shining lights around the place. well the they fact no that you're doing. frightened and that children are frightened I mean this is ridiculous. well we're concerned we're concerned I don't know at night when my husband leaves the house what he's going to meet and that's not good enough people are entitled in this day and age to go to bed at night knowing that their property is safe and that their family are safe it's not too much to ask in this day and age what needs to happen Changes need to happen. Um, the guards need more resources. We should be able to ring people and get support when it's needed. People need to be comfortable ringing the guards knowing that they are being listened to and they're being heard and that action can be taken. This is in no way disrespect towards the guards. This is not me having a go at the guards. I do know from feedback from the meeting in Monroe last week that one of the frustrations was mentioned that a guard or rep had said that these calls aren't being logged. People are sick and tired of making these calls on a regular basis. Now, if the Garda rep at the meeting thinks that calls are not being logged and the public are sick of making these calls, there's miscommunication somewhere. There's something wrong with the system. Something needs to be changed and something needs to be looked into, but it needs to happen now. And I know we'll be speaking to the Gardaí during the week on, on this topic. Just give me the geography of it. Um, you, because you're technically in County Waterford, you have to make contact with Dungarvan. But how far are you from Clonmel? So literally 10 minutes. 10, ten minutes. minutes. And yeah. from Dungarvan, how far are you? Oh, it could take possibly half an hour. Right. minutes, half an hour, yeah. So really, a squad car could be with you from Clonmel in less than 10 minutes. Absolutely. If Like that, if there's a car available and they can send a car and a car comes out, you have more chance of catching these people while they're still in the area. Ring in Dungarvan, waiting for the call to go through to see if there's a car available to get a car to drive from Dungarvan up to Town is a waste of time. And you've logged complaints and calls with both Garda stations? Oh, people have, yeah, yeah, not just me. Um, yeah, there's plenty of people have logged calls. Details of vehicles, details, registration numbers, everything they can possibly give them, people are ringing and giving those to the guards. Mm. I don't understand how uh, the same vehicles can be reported day in, day out for suspicious activity and they're still free to drive around the next day. It's just beyond me. I I know that you weren't at at the meeting, but your husband was. What did he make of the meeting, Ashley? Um, He felt that it was 
you could feel the anger in the room. Mm. You could totally understandable why there would be such anger there. People are frustrated. This was a way for people to air that frustration and anger. Um, he was frustrated with the fact that it was mentioned there about the cause being logged and not being logged and things like that when people are just doing the face of from doing it. Um, he thought it was good to, to go to it and hear other people's experiences from it. But at the same time, we don't know, is it a waste of time? Is something going to be done? Because we're just going around in circles. Anything we've been doing so far is just not working. Right, just, just stay with me for a moment, Ashing, because Francis, I know, is, is back with us. Uh, Francis, sure. you see, you've heard all of this before, Francis, and, you know, you were even optimistic at one stage that something was going to be done. Here we are, 2022, and we're, we're talking about the same stuff. Uh, yes, Fran, and I, I know that group are going to um, have a meeting with um, with the Minister for Justice. We've done the same thing back a couple of years ago. Indeed. The problem with that is that uh, when the Minister has moved and changed, you feel all your work has gone down the drain again. You have to get at the Minister's advisors, and it's up to the politicians to push this, but they, they don't seem to have the, the stomach to do it. Um, we Wh- and why, why do you think that is? I... Uh, are, are people afraid of these gangs? And um, I think one thing that happened there was, was um, you had one crowd got the travellers got ethnic um, status, and I think that took power away from Gardaí and took power away from business people and what they can do with these people. But you nobody's above above the law, Francis. I mean, it doesn't matter what status you have. Um, there's nobody above the law. Supposedly, nobody above the law. Um, it's only a small minority of people that break the law, but they cause an awful lot of trouble. Uh, they seem to be above the law. They seem to be very hard to apprehend. And we had um, a letter from the Clonmel rugby president uh, on the night there, which was absolutely frightening when I spoke to that man after and what they have to put up with in the rugby club. They're, um, they're an organisation um, that are voluntary and the work they do for people around Clonmel and the surrounding areas uh, in 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 having rugby teams and for ladies and and gents. And they also have um, an all-weather pitch, that man told me, in which uh, ladies play hockey there. And I couldn't mention it on on radio, what happens there and what's done by the locals beside them. Uh, I mean, you have Pavy Point. They wrote a letter to them. The response they got back was, uh, it's it's a law thing. Let the law deal with it. But I think Pavy Point should be doing more. They want to be recognised. They want to improve their human rights. Uh, they want to bridge the economic and social inequalities between travellers and settled people. I think um, they have a duty to respond to the Clonmel Rugby Club and to have a meeting and see can they do something about the people around there. I think they have a duty. They're government funded. They're fantastic in what they're doing. Um, they have trained people. There's one after entering the Guard of Forces. They have people have university qualifications. That's grand. They can, um, they can talk about that. But when you're in an organisation, you have the good and the bad, and you must deal with both. Um, Ashling, I'm just wondering, listening to Francis there, and I mean, you know, we would have covered those meetings over the years, and we would have heard, you know, optimism that a particular minister in in, in that case was going to do something about this, and 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 nothing got done. Does that make you feel pessimistic about anything emerging from that meeting in Monroe? 
does. No, like I say, I wasn't there myself, but the, the, course, yes. the feedback I have got is that yeah, people are angry and frustrated. But like I said, it's it's not a new thing. It's going to. We feel that in Russellstown, especially, we're going around in circles. We don't see <clears throat> how this is going to change. Like change does need to happen. How it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, I really don't know. But hopefully, all these all these cha- meetings and talks that are going on, all we can do is keep reiterating the troubles that we're having in the hope that someone is eventually going to listen and do something about it. Well, we're flooded, I see. I'm just looking at the screen in front of me here. We're flooded with texts of people with similar experiences to your husband. And, you know, it's just incredible. And it's not just that area. It's right around uh, the county uh, as well. Um, Where to from here, do you think, Ashling? I mean... I don't know, like Garda Resources, basically. We need to have a chat and see what the issue is with calls being logged, as I mentioned earlier. Yes. Um, what happens when people ring? How is this processed? Apart from people ringing with details, um, we don't know what happens after that. Um, mm. All we do know is the vehicles are back night after night. The same people, same vehicles. And following the, the meeting, did you have, were, were they back over the weekend, for example? Oh, they were out the night of the meeting. My husband walked in the door after the meeting and the car went up the road 20 minutes later. Are you serious? Not joking. So I, my husband rang... So he came back back from the meeting in Monroe and immediately saw activity. uh, He was in the door about 20 minutes and a car went up the road, yeah. My God. Francis, what do you make of that? Yeah, it, it, it's frightening and it's disgusting and it, it, it's um, it's amazing that um, people have to live in fear, have to live in fear in their homes. Um, they, they have the right to feel secure and safe in their homes and, and in their workplaces, but that's obviously not happening. Um, Operation Tor was launched on the eve of our meeting in Torless and um, it was where there were specialised guards going, an armed guard going around uh, doing that work, um, apprehending cr- criminals and that. But that seemed to have been uh, knocked at one stage. Now it's back up again. Operation Tower must be funded at all times. And trained guardian and personnel uh, specifically um, employed to look after these gangs and, 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 and get rid of them. Now, some people would say they should have been in the army. Um, it was said to me on a couple of occasions, I don't know, would that work? But I would say the army could play an important role um, in education, maybe, along with tagging and education. And as we all know, the army are very disciplined. And if they had community service in the army for a month or two months, it, it might it might knock a bit of the boldness out of them, because they don't seem to have any law. They're just they run around. They have convictions after convictions. And what that lady said there, those people roaming on land, there were some apprehended around us not too long ago. They had between 50 and 180 convictions. So I mean, it doesn't matter to them. They go back into court. They'll be back out again. And um, they might get a fine. And if they get a fine, the Gardaí, they won't pay that fine. So the Gardaí have to collect them, get a warrant, collect them, bring them down to the jail. We've heard it all before, Fran. And um, Garda time wasted. A Garda squad car gone for half a shift with two Gardaí to bring these lads to court or to prison. They'll, they'll get a meal in prison, they're let out, and they're back home. And when they're out in bail, they can commit crime. They'll get a, con- uh, they'll get a, um, a consecutive sentence, which is very, a concordant sentence, which is very wrong. All the laws need to be changed, and it's people power is going to do this. Uh, we had hoped from our meeting that we would get more groups, like the Monroe Group, 
And there was a good few at that Monroe meeting that were part of our group yes. and they know what we were talking but, about. But look at the publicity your group got at the time, Francis, and it ignited a kind of a, a, a national uprising against us and still we're here having the very same conversation. Um, it, it, it did, friend, and um, I suppose the man we spoke to before we ever started off, the chairman and myself, and he told us the way this thing would end up, he said, is um, that you'll be inundated, you will have to have a full-time secretary and a paid secretary. And we found that the workload was so heavy. Um, but we were hoping that more groups like the Monroe and more groups in the country would get together and, and form one, one group Mm. Um, with people that had time to look after this. Yes. Maybe retired guard or retired solicitors or retired in the community that, that were in trouble and suffering like what the community is at the moment. That's what we were hoping to do. Maybe it might happen yet. If people, But you only see it when something happens. Like in the area in Clambell now, they're, they're getting hammered down there at the moment. And it's a nine-day wonder maybe it'll all fizzle out. But I think they, they should have more meetings with their chief superintendent we found that very, 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 very helpful that he would bring in the rest of the superintendents around and that you would have a good chat about what's going on and get your feelings known. But it has to All be right. more resources and we have to have more resources. OK, I must leave it there. But Ashling and Francis, thank you so much for your time today and we wish you the very best. Thanks for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Francis and Ashling there with some more reaction to that meeting in Monroe uh, last week. 1800 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie. All right, lots and lots of text in. Fran, how about investigating the judicial system? Another listener listened to the debate this morning. It seems the law doesn't apply to these people and nothing new there, says one of our listeners. If the Gardaí can't help uh, the people affected, then uh, eventually they might have to protect themselves because nobody should live in fear. Somebody is saying um, that people need to organise themselves. These meetings are a waste of time. Uh, Fran has been happening in the Moyne area for the last uh, 10 years. Somebody else saying, Fran, no point in TDs coming onto the show and castigating the Gardaí and blaming everybody. They have the power to change the law and to help the law. Uh, making lamping illegal so the Gardaí can summons and take responsibility from the landowner, uh, make the movement of dogs legal unless vehicles are fitted out like dog trainers have, and uh, put more guards available for country patrols. It's in the hands of the TDs to stamp this out, says one of our listeners. Another listener saying, what about your friends, the travellers now, Fran? Well, I have a few uh, traveller friends, and uh, they're decent people and certainly my experience of them has been that they're very decent people indeed but like any community look well there's a settled community or whatever there's a mix of people in every community you know there's there's good and bad and all anyway let's go to Teresa Teresa good morning to you good morning friend. and good to talk to you today Teresa how do you feel about this well friend a couple of years back I had kind of an incident and going back now maybe 10 years um I left my dog in at night 
and he went mad about half six, quarter to seven. Um, now, I have a wall the full way around the house, but I knew there was someone coming in. Um, you could see the light shining in first, and then you could see, you could hear slight voices. So I rang the guards, and he's, I said, my dog is after going mad, and I know I have people coming in. The guard's answer was, let the dog out. I said, you must be joking. And the reason why I said that is, if my dog went out and Bish who came in, they'd have the law to put down my dog, which is wrong. So you'd be responsible in some You'd be responsible. But, friend, the differentiation has to come. People is in the right to protect their own home. Now, if I do nothing to you, you do nothing to me, 100%. But the natural instinct of any person is to protect what they have. But the law doesn't cover us in this. It doesn't, Teresa. We've, we've come across incidents of that over the years. I mean, if you take out a gun to somebody, for instance, even if it's a legal gun, on your premises and you kill somebody, I mean, you, you could well end up in prison. Yeah, well, why should you end up in prison for them doing the damage in the first place? This is what I say. There's no law to protect the owners, and what they're doing is protecting their own. There's not a big cover in us. Now, right, I'm a single person on my own. I have a dog. But if I went to have a, a gun, which I don't have, or whatever way I use of... Stopping someone coming in. And I actually killed that person. I'm the one going on trial for killing them who is entering illegally, who didn't come up to the front door and knock. So where's the law protecting us? We get it. They don't. And another thing, friend, the law has to change. The law has to change for the people that does have convictions. If they're doing it time and time again, they have to have have really and truly not gone up a slap in the hand two or three months, pay a fine and out and do it again. That's wrong. That is totally wrong. Now, law, to me, is a pure laugh at the moment. And I'm not going against the guards have a hard job. But when they take them into court mm. and they get such mm. a small fine yeah. for what they're after doing, and look at what it's after costing them to take them into court. And and they, even if they have a history of crime, it's not taken into it's account. It's not taken into account. Yeah. No, but if I murdered him the first time in, I'd be on a murder list for the rest of my life. Do you, you live know? in a, r- a rural area? I do, friend, yeah. Okay. And, and Teresa, tell me, how, do you live in fear a lot of the time? I used to, friend. But now at this stage, I'm gone to the stage, well, if you come in my door, I'm going to attack if you come in wrong. I don't care whether it means how, how turning do, on... How do you mean you're going to attack? I don't mean if it's... I mean, if it's turning on lights, letting a roar at you, get out. I mean, if I have to grab a shovel or grab a, a pitchfork or whatever I have to do to protect myself, I will do it. Now, the people will say to me, that's wrong. But what do you do? Do you let them in and base it even daylight, are you? Do they, do they leave you dead and go? Is I mean, it, something has to come to protect us. I just would be concerned. I mean, if if a group of fellows came in, Teresa, and whether you have a shovel or a fork, they could overpower you, and it could be worse for you. I mean, I just don't know what to... Well, friend, let's put it this way. I hope I never get to that stage, but I am going to protect what I put there that I work for all my bloody life, and I'll be damned if someone comes on and takes that from me. I pay my taxes, I pay my dues, and I think I am entitled to protect what I have. 
And if you had, and I know you don't have, but if you had a weapon, for example, would you use that? If I was able to, yes. And I'm going to be honest. You would? Yes. Now, a firing shot, you can always let a firing shot up into the air. You don't have to aim at them straight away. And I think when when people hear a firing shot and they know you have it, they'll back back. You know, I mean, we've got to be realistic here. Why should I let people intimidate me for doing nothing wrong, for protecting my own? This is where we have to stand up as human beings and allow them not to be intimidated, not to be afraid to protect our own land and our own way. And let the guards come on with us. And again, I'm going to say the worst thing was ever done was taking the rural guard stations out of each area. And where there should be at least two guards on duty in that area, even night time. That was the worst mistake ever made. And Teresa, when you you were growing up, I presume there was no issues like this, really. Fran, when I was growing up, I could walk down from my own village two miles away in the middle of the night any time and you know who was going to be on the road you had no hassle friend i'm delighted i grew up in the time i delight i grew up in i'd be honest it it might have been tough but by god we could go out and walk we knew our neighbors we knew actually neighbors stood with neighbors people were more united now they're afraid because if you're seen to be how would you say against them in any way you're going to be targeted which is wrong why should you be a targeted for protecting your own? All right, Teresa, we wish you the best. And do be safe, Teresa, won't you? I will, friend. All thank right. you. And thank you for coming on with me this morning. 1800 938 007. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call tip today on 1 800 938 007. Good morning, Joan. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Good to talk to you today, uh, Joan. Thank you, you. you. Your dad was a victim of robbery a few years ago, Joan. He was indeed. Uh, I grew up in a very rural part of County Tipperary and my parents lived there, obviously. My mum died a few years ago and my dad was living on his own. And uh, he actually, subsequent to that, he had a fall and broke his hip and he lived with me for about two years. And then he went back home. He was a very independent little man and he was a very agile little man and he wanted his own space. Mm. And we all understood that. And as a family, we went in and out to him and he had a bit of home help and that. And he was doing fine. He had picked himself up, dusted himself off and he was getting on with life. And one Sunday afternoon when the snow was falling, he answered his front door to a man who said, do you know me? And he said, God, I don't mock, as my father would say. Mm. And he pushed him into the house and pushed him around the place and he robbed him. Now, my father changed totally. As far as I'm concerned, that man actually killed my father. Because from that day forward, he could not spend two minutes on his own. He was terrified. The word terrified, and I'll emphasize it, is exactly how he was from then on. 
with the results that he ended up, he couldn't even live with any of his family because he couldn't stay with them 24-7 with their own businesses, their own mm. work. Mm. And we had to put him into a nursing home where he turned into himself totally and really for what time was left of his life for the bones of two years, he didn't even speak to his family. We lost our dad that day. That is oh, the reality God, of it. John. My God. You know, so I'm listening to people talking about their lands and their animals, and I think it's appalling. It's totally appalling. But we're talking about a person's life here. You know, if he had killed my father, he'd probably have been kinder on the day. And that's the most awful thing to have to say. But that's exactly how I feel. I've carried this around with me for years, and I haven't gone on any public forum to speak about it up to today. But listening to what's going on there has incited me to get in touch with you and talk about this because I think these are the things that are not highlighted. Nobody was ever apprehended for what happened to my father. And I firmly believe to this day, and I think a lot of people would agree with me as well, that it's local knowledge is how these people and these gangs... Explain that that to me, Joan. This is certain individuals living within the country areas are given information. They're selling information to other gangs. It's not the ones that are living locally that are doing it. They're too clever. So they're selling on the information. And now with the media that we have, with uh, mobile phones, etc. Social et media and all of that. Yeah, and are exactly. you saying they're pinpointing certain people then that yes. might be vulnerable or they figure yes. might have a few bob or something like that? Yeah, precisely, yeah. Because nobody would have known that my father, first of all, was there on his own because he hadn't been there that long at that time on his own. Secondly, nobody would have known that he had any money. It had to be local information. He was probably seen picking up his pension, which I begged them not to do and I wanted him to put it in the bank and all the rest of it. Yes. But being of the East that he was and the age group and the time that he grew up in, money was money and that was it. You had it in your back course, pocket yeah. or wherever, you know. And you see, they, this local knowledge is being sold on. And anyone, you know, I mean, if you think about it even, where are these gangs getting their information? They're not just coming spot checking. You yes, know, right, because these are rural them, you know. rural areas and you'd want to know your way around them and you'd want you to know would, who's yeah. who and the like. Well, Fran, if I sent you off to find my parents' house, you probably wouldn't find it. You'd be looking for an air code. Yes, I'd, I'd, I'd have to get yeah. information. I'd, I'd have would, to be given yeah. information. So it is definitely local information. And, and Joan, it completely changed your dad then from an independent man you know, yes. able to look after himself, able to look, uh, 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 you know, and into somebody that needed to go into a nursing home because he was so terrified. Yes. So terrified. And terrified even in the nursing home. Oh. There was a noise anywhere at all. He would lose his life. So I, I lost my dad that day, you know, and my family, we lost our dad that day. It's as simple as that. And you see, at the end of the day, like, even if they're caught, Fran, even if they're caught and your previous speaker said this as well, they're let off with a slap on the wrist or even less, or a fine, which is never collected anyway, which is a joke. And when they go in, they're getting their free legal aid. These are one conviction on top of another, and they're still getting free legal aid. They have more money than you, me, and everyone else put together in our society have, these people. And yes, they're being handed free legal aid. Then they go before the judiciary and they're let off. And there's excuses made for them. I'm sure they didn't have a good way of life and they didn't have a good upbringing and it's their culture and it's everything for them. And it's nothing for us. I've never seen justice for my father losing his life. As I say, he didn't die two years later. He died that day. 
the man that he was died that day. And That's I can hear, Joan, that this has had a huge impact on you as well. Oh, my God, you wouldn't believe the impact. When I hear anything, when I hear about break-ins, and we're on community watch schemes, and we get these messages saying, oh, unusual activity or unusual vehicles in your area. They give you part of a registration number, etc. And you're saying to yourself, oh, for God's sake, am I next? That's what you're saying. Oh, am I next? Is a member of my family next? What's the story here? There's no punishment. Why? Punishment is not fitting the we, crime. We heard from Francis this morning, who was involved in, you know, a lot of the original meetings to try and try and do something about crime in rural areas. But, you know, even though they were promised everything at the time, little was done. Why do you think there's not an appetite um, from the politicians to do something about this, Joan? Uh, because, you see, they're probably getting votes from these this particular sector of society. So they don't want to uh, dampen their powder. They want to keep their powder dry so they'll get their votes. They want palsy-welsy with all these cults and groups and organisations, etc. So they think, oh, no, they're all lovely. You see, they might know one or two decent ones and they think everybody is like that. I'm sorry to say there's only a very small handful of that individual group of people that are anyway normal and there are a number of them that are normal but the mainstream are not normal I can tell you that they're definitely not normal they're evil I mean let's call it what it should be called here I'm tired of hearing excuses about people and their mental health and the way they were brought up and they didn't have this and they couldn't have that they are just evil Evil individuals is what they are. And we all need to call it out for what it is. And we're hearing about all the different murders and taking lives and all the rest of it. And we're hearing about all their mental health and it's all because the mental health isn't looked after in our country. It has absolutely all got to do with it. It's evil. And let's call it what it is. These are evil individuals who are going out to take what is not theirs and to hurt people that they've no business been having any contact with of any description. Joan, thank you so much for coming on. And I know you haven't spoken about this before, so we really appreciate you coming on with me this morning, Joan. Thank you, Fran. Thank, thank you, you for thank giving you. me the opportunity. And, and condolences on the loss of your dad as well. Thank you so much, thank Joan. You. Thank you and bye-bye to you now. 1800-938-007. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Plan your own Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Camilla Mahagapat, uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Billy was on to us from Clanmel and he says, I completely agree with uh, Joan and thank God somebody has uh, called it as it is. Uh, it's terrible what's happening to country people. Uh, they're left high and dry to defend themselves. I'd love to put a few of our so-called political leaders in their shoes to see what dangers they face all of the time. Joan said, the truth, Fran, it's time to stand up to these gangs um, in bed all day and up all night. 
somebody else saying people were in absolute poverty years ago and they didn't go and rob and murder anybody. Too many excuses made now and no punishment. Another listener saying, Fran, most politicians are afraid uh, to say or do anything against these groups for fear of the big word racism. Uh, NGOs have too much of a voice in modern society and can shame people to such an extent that they will lose their jobs. We just need someone to take a stand and get behind them. Not everybody can be racist, says uh, James, who's in New Inn today. Um, to WhatsApp then, I'm listening to the show about lamping and break-ins, etc. I think it's terrible for people to feel afraid in their own homes. It's the sentence for crimes that's letting down the Gardaí. I'm from a settled traveller family. I'm in full employment all my life, as are my brothers and sisters. And I would go along with what your speaker said, that anybody who breaks into a home or anybody who hurts old people are just evil, it says here. So that's just a sample of what's uh, coming into us uh, this morning. Now, the chief executive of Airgrid has said that he cannot guarantee that there will be be no blackouts in the coming months but said it would be unlikely Mark Foley is the CEO in question and said it would take uh, an extraordinary confluence of events for the lights to go out this winter it would be a tight winter and he couldn't guarantee that there would not be blackouts now Paulina uh, was in touch and joins me now Paulina good morning to you Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. Um, tell me what you think uh, about this. You feel Ireland have been particularly hard hit with energy costs, Paulina? Yes, I do. I actually have been speaking to a lot of my friends from different countries, living in different cities, and I just don't hear such scary stories that um, we have here in Ireland, you know, about cafes being closed and churches not opening uh, for the winter. So I really think Ireland um, is, is hit hard with the energy crisis, yeah. And uh, you're also making the point about these energy companies that are super rich and making huge, huge profits. Yeah, so I would expect the government to um, give some sort of threshold that these companies cannot charge institutions or NGOs, schools um, above that certain threshold. And I know such measures have been implemented in other countries in the European Union as well. And it is to stop these big companies that have a monopoly over energy, especially with the smaller countries such as Ireland, to stop them and to not make them mega rich, you know, and just to, to have normal prices. Yeah, the ESB group, for example, um 3.7 billion of revenue, and that's up from about 2.2 billion in the same period uh, last year. But I mean, it's it's incredible. So, but they're saying, inter- I I really don't know what this means to be honest with you, because I'm not I'm not an economist. But they're saying that while the ESB recorded exceptional gains in 2022, these gains relate mainly to wait wait for this one, Paulina technical accounting treatment of financial instruments and they're not cash related. What in the name of God does that mean? No, it it means absolutely nothing. Um, We just have to be very, very careful because um, when you have a monopoly over certain services or products, things can get very, very dangerous for for the likes of me and you and and, and normal people who use uh, these resources. So the government has to act and ensure that the, the, the certain threshold is not being, um, you know, 
extended. But certainly by comparison and what you're hearing from your friends, your international friends, uh, were, were particularly hard done by here, Paulina. That's it. And um, there, are, there are no measures, really. I know that, um, and, and the likes of my parents, uh, people will get 200 euros over three installments. For, uh, so first of all, that is ridiculous because, you know, uh, anybody buying oil or paying their energy bills, they need one big lung of payment to pay for it. So, so, so to separate the payments into three little payments, I, I don't think that really does uh, or helps people enough. So that's first of all. Uh, and second of all, as I said, that policy to, to guarantee prices over a certain period, especially mm. for schools, for hospitals, for churches, I haven't seen that in comparison to, to other countries. Yes. Well, they refuse to put a cap on the uh, energy prices because they're saying that this would be like giving a, a, a blank check and that the taxpayer would, would end up coughing up even more money. Yeah, well, I, I don't believe that personally, and I would expect the government to, to, to do to do a cap, yes. <laughs> you know. Uh, otherwise, we will have a situation like we had with rent, where people couldn't meet uh, or couldn't pay for the rent because there has been no cap given and the rent cost has just been going higher, 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 higher. And this is the same, um, the same situation. And in terms of blackouts, and um, energy supply being cut off. Yeah. This morning only, I don't know if you've heard, on the Donish uh, island of Bornholm, they had a power cut which left 40,000 people with no energy for now. So these things can happen, and they certainly do happen. So they're very real, is what you're saying to me. It is very real, yeah. yeah. Obviously, this was caused by some other uh, events, but still, it, we have to be prepared for that. You you also, you're a little incredulous that we haven't moved quickly enough where wind energy is concerned either. Absolutely. So, um, <laughs> you know, anybody growing up in Ireland, you would know it's very, very windy, That's right? Sure. I remember, yeah. <laughs> and I remember winters in January, February, well, we didn't even wear a coat. All we had was a jumper. Mm. That was it. So, obviously, the winters over the last, couple of years has become more severe mm. but it is very very windy and and it's just super logical for me that we should have been investing into wind farms and wind energy because we can really really produce a lot of that energy from wind yeah but i mean you know the offshore uh, wind energy we left it too late to make decisions about that we're now looking at 2030 at least before any of these plants are in operation you know which is ludicrous when you think about it Absolutely. But, you know, we, we people have made mistakes in the past. Government has made mistakes in the past, maybe not supporting enough investment. I don't know if we have enough, um, uh, you know, Irish builders or developers who would, who would invest and develop, or do we have to attract foreign investment in order to develop more wind farms? But certainly government has to have a plan to, to, to build more uh, wind farms and wind energy because this is something that Ireland can really get behind and be sustainable on mm. would be really, really great for Ireland. Yeah. And Seem- for people. yeah, seemingly we're ideally situated for this to be workable and profitable and all that. But anyway, again, we're, we're much too slow. Paulina, are you originally from, from Poland? Yes, originally. So I was 15 years old when I moved to Tipperary. But yeah, originally from Poland, yeah, from a big city in north near the German border. And I remember huge wind farms crossing the border into Germany. When I was growing up, right. So, so this would have been 
prevalent there years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. And you know what also, what I found really, really weird um, when I was in college in Ireland, in Dublin, was the electrical heating, which was super expensive. And a lot of apartments having that electrical heating, um, not really modernized. So very, very old. You had to switch the button and it was extremely expensive. And I can only imagine what's going to happen this winter with these sorts of accommodation. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, isn't it? Paulina, it's always really good to talk to you and thank you for your time this morning. You too, Fran. Stay warm. (laughs) You too, Paulina. Thank you. That's Paulina speaking to us from Cashel this morning. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Fran, uh, just some reaction to the debate this morning. It's not just rural areas at all. As uh, the biggest uh, inland town might as well not have a guard of barracks for the carry-on that's going on. And uh, I'm sure, are you referring to uh, Clonmel there as part of a discussion we had with uh, Matty McGrath uh, last week where he said, you know, open drug dealing happening on O'Connell Street in Clonmel. Now, I'm very careful about tarrying any one town with this because I know it's prevalent in all of our towns and indeed in our villages as well. Fran, just to say that Joan said everything that so many people haven't had the nerve to say, and I'm so sorry to hear about her dad as well. I found that heartbreaking this morning. Um, when she spoke about her dad, you know, an independent man prepared to live on his own, look after himself, wanting all of that independence. And then that incident where this thug arrived at his door intimidated him completely to the point that he, he became so fearful that it destroyed the final years of his life and he had to move into a nursing home because he was so fearful. Um, yeah. Oh, and three, three, double one, double three, double one. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie The best... Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Lister was on to say that there was a break-in near my home a few years ago and the burglars left a hand-drawn map of the area on one of the kitchen tables with the location of all houses identified. And some houses were marked D, others A, others DA, others with no mark. It was discovered afterwards that D was for dog and A was for alarm. So now this plays into part of our conversation in the first hour that there is local intelligence um, going to uh, some of these people. Um, Okay, a lot of people on to compliment Joan for her contribution to this morning and indeed uh, to the programme this morning and to all of our other contributors as well. Um, Okay, and again, wondering where the politicians are um, where this is concerned. Well, we spoke to, in fairness, we spoke to Matty McGrath last week and he was very upfront in his thoughts on this. Uh, Martin Brown was on to us, I know, last week uh, as well. 1800 938 007. Willie joins me now. Willie, good morning to you. 
Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, and good good to talk to you today. You think that there's a level of exaggeration from the media speculating about blackouts and the like, Willie? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, Fran, I think so. I mean, I think there's an awful lot of misinformation out there about the whole thing, and certain aspects are presenting it like they think there's Armageddon that's around the corner, and we'll be all in the dark and cold and hungry for the winter. And look, it suits, suits them to put out this. It's almost this disastrous scenario and, and we're the only ones that know about it and the government are doing nothing and no one's doing nothing. I mean, there is an awful lot of, there's an awful lot of misinformation and hype over it. And are you at all fearful about uh, this winter? Well, I mean, there's a guy on there the other day, uh, he's, he's a Mark Foley, CEO of Airbridge, and he basically laid it out there. He said, yes, these things are possible. He can't say absolutely nothing will ever happen. But he laid it out there. And he said that basically there'd have to be a combination of half a dozen worst-case scenarios happen yes. at the same time, both here and the UK, because the interconnected markets and all the rest of it, for this to happen. I mean, and I, I, I'm well aware of a couple of years ago, I was working in, in a major industrial use complex outside Torres, the machine mine, it was an operation at the time. And this was going back maybe, I don't know what it was exactly now, just maybe 12 or 13. Mm. But the grid in the area was, was under serious pressure, was swamped. And they just came to them and they made an arrangement with them and they said, look, you're a major industrial user. Can we do a deal with you? And yeah, we shut down production from half four to half seven over the winter for two years running. At the peak time. At the peak time. Yeah. And that alleviated. You know, they may have spoken to other industrial users in the area as well. I wouldn't be aware of that. I just know I was working there and that was all it took. I mean, the grid was upgraded in the area in the meantime, and the public wouldn't have even been aware of it or known anything about it. Of course, but now we, we it's, it's quite different now, though, because we have these um, these data centres that are just soaking up so much energy, Willie. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they were there too, Fran, at the time. I know we've added to it, but yeah. like, like I'd ask you the question, how, ma- how many screens are open in front of you there at the moment? Four. Presenting... You know, and yes. the same is true of every other company and every other outfit. They're part and parcel of what we are, what the economy is, what people's lives are. I mean, people who come on wailing and moaning about them are doing so on devices that are supported by them. You know, it's so ironic. They, so they are, are, are we hypocritical, do you think? Oh, sure, we have to be. I mean, fine. I mean, if you want to say to people, we'll do away with these data centres or we'll curtail them. Also put the full proposal to them. Well, that's the end of your your Netflix or your internet banking or your browsing for cheap runners or cheap flights or this matter. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you that we don't have a, an understanding of what exactly the data centres are. And you're dead right. Uh, These the centres support our, our actions on online and uh, on, on mm-hmm. our screens. Yeah, I mean, the tens of thousands that work from home right throughout the Berlin, yeah. and will continue to do so. I mean, yeah. that's all gone if you haven't data centres. That's gone puffed over you know people have no real comprehension right. of what it is they do so hammering the like, the government about you know continuing to invite these centres in and to support them you're, you're saying that's that's hypocritical really it or, is yeah. look man, they have to levy they have to say right you want a death centre what are you going to do to to develop further like, it can't be just yeah build all you want of them with no yes. bigger plan you have to say to them they are. They are. I mean, I drove up to Sligo there with a few days holidays there in the end of August or whatever it was. I think I've had three separate uh, wind farms under construction. 
you know, the work is going on. I mean, I'm looking mm. out. There's a major wind farm in our own parish here in Mine comes to it. There's 40 odd turbines, and there's nine more under construction. Mm. You know, people have a false idea. They think, oh, God, if the wind isn't blowing a gale, these won't work. I mean, there's hardly a breeze this morning. It's beautiful, crisp, sunny morning, and they're all working away the finest down there. Yeah, but, but we don't have the kind of storage that's necessary, really, isn't that, isn't that the point? That, you know, while the mm-hmm. wind is blowing, we should be able to store some of this energy and then put it out at the, at the times when we're stuck for it. And we don't seem to have the capacity to do that. Yeah, I mean, highly technical stuff. But should, like Alan Kelly, in fairness, to him, was promoting that hydroelectric scheme blowing. Silverman, yeah, yeah. You know, because he has fallen down the second order, maybe physically it's on the back burner. But look, it was a serious project. It was a serious solution. I mean, I've seen some of our independents there coming out on the fence there last week or the week before calling for peat-fired power stations to be reopened for the winter. Mm. I mean, did any of them ever ask them what they hoped to burn to fuel them? Bornemona hasn't harvested as much as a wheelbarrow load of peat to fuel these stations. You know, fantastical solutions that get their name in the media and get their their face on television. That's very interesting. I I hadn't thought of that. that Even if they were powered up again, we don't have the... We don't have the, the peat. There's one, there's one, there's Eden Dairy, I think, which operates. Mm. That's only operating yeah. on stockpiles that they had, and I think it's converted 50-50% biomass, as in wood chip is mixed through it. But the rest, they're presenting an image that you can stick in a battery there and turn the key and off you go. They haven't even fueled, burned them, like. But that's that's mm. the solution that our independents are putting forward. Uh, yeah, but in fairness, there is a conversation around whether they should have been closed down in the first place until there was an alternative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, but do you believe the hype that it's all about to collapse? I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, your man. Well, it came very close last year, Willie. You know, it came. You have these amber alerts, man. But yeah. I mean, amber alerts aren't—they aren't what they are. They're a highly, they're a technical statement. But what they're saying is they're getting near where they'd like to be before it's before it. Um, a critical point. They're not saying it's critical. They're saying they're getting to the end of where where they're right. 100% safe and they have capacity that they're getting into the stage where in the worst case scenario that a major plant had a major problem, then there's a, then there's a problem. But, like, we're, we're not any different to any well, other... I'd group. love to know, what do you make of the nuclear um, option, for example? Because that's something that people run away from and don't want to have that conversation. But what do you think of that? I think it's again. It's the not in my backyard scenario. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are nine. There are nine atomic power plants working across the UK. There's something like twenty or something in cross France and that general yeah. area. I mean, they're producing seventy, eighty percent of their power, and it's a lot cheaper. And it's cleaner, the I believe. Now yes. it's there. I mean, I, I just looked at the map there for curiosity. There's four or five of those plants down the west coast of the UK. Mm. They're closer to Dublin. And Dublin is the parts of Cork or mm. Kerry or Galway or Mayo or Donegal. But yes, you know, <laughs> anyone suggests putting one on Irish island, God forbid, we're all going to wake up dead, as the ad says. The- well, you see, we got such a scare from Sellafield that time, I suppose, you know. Mm. But again, the scare, I mean, was it just a scare, a, a hype? A gen- you know, they're, they're all over the world. They're all over the world. They're all over the US. They're all over... Mm. Japan everywhere else. They're everywhere except here and we seem to think we can just carry on regardless. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't 
relate to us. If it works everywhere else, why wouldn't it work here? Right, and and just a final point, if I could. I mean, you're saying it's you know it's all hype and that. What is very real is the cost of living and the cost of energy and all of that, Willie. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think some people will be cold this winter because of that. It's hard. Look, yeah, it, they're always going to be individual cases and and, and tough cases and hard cases, and I'm not disputing that, but. Can you apply that to the whole population and say, well, you know, it's all terrible. It's, you know, it's hard to make generalizations around those things. Mm. Like, you will see people and they'll say, God, yeah, it's terrible, it's this, that, and the other, but how much did they spend on, on bags that week or how much did they spend on, you know, what they could have spent? I don't smoke. It's probably 100 quid a week in my pocket because of that. To buy a lot of fuel or to pay a decent PSC bill, yeah, but again, it's important to point out that not all people are like that. Some people don't smoke, don't drink, and they still might be at the pin of their, their collar, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I, I totally understand people on a fixed income, pension, right. whatever it is, is what it is. But, yeah, but, but, I mean, you're making an interesting point. Are you saying that somebody who would be on a limited income and would be smoking and drinking and stuff, something will have to suffer, I suppose, with the, in those situations? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you had a guy on the other day, I just got the end of the programme, he was on about his, his Sky bill and he was lamenting the fact that he was not paying 90 euros a month and how terrible it all was. Will he live without Sky? I'm sure he will. But people don't make that connection. I mean, we have Sky, but it's a very basic package. It's 30 something. Yeah, same as that. Can, man, can the man not pay 30 something and not have 101 channels on the television? Right, but maybe, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know about the guy in question, but, you know, sometimes people have very little else, you know, like maybe. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, look. Am I being so the bleeding? Answer. Am I being the bleeding heart liberal here? And you're. <laughs> there is a bit of that going on, friend. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's hardly a first, a third world problem. Like, I got my my sky bill was ninety euros a month. It's the end of the world. I must get more of a payment for someone to cover that. I mean, get rid of your sky if that's your problem. Right. Tough talk, Willie. Well, sure, friend. <laughs> Maybe we need a bit of tough blow from time to time. <laughs> Maybe we do indeed. Willie, great to hear from you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank no you. Problem, Come on. Stay warm, Willie. I will. <laughs> Good luck to you. Bye bye. That's Willie this morning. 1800-938-007. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And uh, you're very welcome back. Lots of people on to us to say congratulations on the Imro Awards for Emma and uh, myself on uh, Friday night. And you're very kind to do that. And thank you very much. And it's all appreciated. Um, uh, Teresa was on. Uh, I beg your pardon. Uh, Fran, Teresa is right. You should be able to protect yourself and your property in your own home. Uh, there should be no legal aid for people who are found guilty. If somebody breaks down your door, um, their property should be sold to compensate the victim. Their social welfare should be reduced to pay the cost of damages. If they work, money should be taken out of their wages. Hit them in their pocket where it hurts. Uh, in general, people work hard to own things and some scumbag uh, thinking they have nothing to do but come and take it from them. 
And now it's our weekly feature on the programme. Tip today goes global. And as always, delighted to be joined by Tipperary man Thomas Conway, who is a student of economics and politics. Uh, good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Congratulations as oh, well. I'll extend my own congratulations. Uh, you're very, very kind indeed. Thanks. We were delighted with it. You're going to start with, with China for us today. Yeah. So yeah. this is, I think, the main story this week. There's a lot of anticipation uh, building ac- across the globe, really. The Communist Party Congress is taking place. It kicks off next week. And what that is, is essentially, it, it takes place every five years. Uh, it's a meeting of, I suppose, the elite of the Communist Party. So, you know, a vast party, more than 96 million members, the second largest on the planet. And it is an event in which I think the, the senior the senior figures within the Communist Party are reshuffled around the various positions of power. So really it's an event for the hierarchy. Right. But this particular Congress is all about Xi Jinping, the Chinese right. president. Tell us a little more about, about him then. Yeah, he is fascinating really. He's, some would argue, the most powerful man on earth. I think he's a, a very mysterious, enigmatic figure as well. He's expected to rule for life. He's effect, a, a couple of years ago, he abolished term limits. So Chinese presidents would usually serve a, a five-year term, maybe two, two five-year terms. She abolished that back in 2017, uh, which effectively gives him free reign to, to rule for as long as he likes. And I think that's what most people anticipate. He's 69 now, but he's showing no signs of stopping. And as I mentioned, he's a very mysterious figure has a fascinating backstory. Yeah, tell us about the backstory because, I mean, you know, with what happened to his dad and stuff, you wouldn't imagine he would have gotten to where he is. But will you tell us about that backstory? Yeah, so born in Beijing in 1953, known what the Chinese call a princeling. So he was the son of one of the founding fathers of the Communist Party yes. and therefore kind of destined for greatness, destined for political greatness, if you like. But... His life took a very sharp turn in the 1960s and the 1970s under the leadership of Mao Zedong, Mao's infamous cultural revolution. And just to remind people, that that was the time when Mao effectively purged half of the country, those who, whom he deemed not to be loyal enough to the Communist Party or to his own ideology. And Xi's father was one of the ones who suffered. He was banished. Uh, he was tortured. I think she's half-sister eventually ended up dying by suicide as a result of the trauma of all that. And she himself was sent to this rural place in the countryside where apparently he lived in a cave. He spent seven years working and learning the virtues of hard work. How did he emerge from that to where he is now? Yeah, so you would expect following that, that, I mean, it would be very reasonable if he had, reasonable if he had decided to turn his back completely on China and the Communist Party. But he actually went the other way, which is intriguing. He tried several times to join the party, was eventually allowed in in 1974. And I suppose after Mao's death in 1976, there was kind of a sea change in Chinese politics and and China as a country. It fell under the leadership of Deng Xiaoping, who opened it up economically to the world, brought in investment and the Chinese economy exploded. There was dramatic economic growth, dramatic population growth, and the country kind of emerged and, and eventually got to where it is today, uh, a, a geopolitical superpower. So all this time, Xi would have been building his reputation within the party. Uh, he held numerous kind of senior roles. He was the party chief in Shanghai. And eventually, 
in 2012, he was appointed as the successor to Hugh Jintao uh, as the chairman of the Communist Party and the president of China. And a lot of people thought at that, that time he was the man for the job because of his sheer devotion to the Communist Party. A lot of people felt the party had maybe lost its way in the preceding mm. years, that the rules had become a bit lax, that yes. the Chinese population weren't as committed. But she was this kind of ultra-driven uh, party ideologue, if you like. His mission to kind of restore China's image on the global stage, restore China to greatness. And I suppose you could argue to a certain extent he's achieved that in that, as I mentioned, China is a now a geopolitical superpower. Yes, even though they are going through their own economic issues They're, at the moment. They certainly sure, are. Yeah. They certainly are. They've had a tired couple of years, you know, and his zero COVID policy, which he's still pursuing yeah. kind of fervently over there, his zero COVID policy has wreaked havoc on the Chinese economy and the global economy more broadly. What about the relationship with Russia then? Because that is worth a mention, isn't it? It is worth a mention. And I think we, we touched on it last week. I think Xi Jinping, anyway, sees Russia as indispensable, but, um, you know, he's willing to sacrifice it. You know, there, there have been various lines of argument that Russia is just a petrol station for China. I think she himself will use Russia as effectively as he can for China's own purposes. Funny enough, I don't think he's as interested in the war in Ukraine in terms of what actually happens to Ukraine. I think he's he's interested in the implications for the West. Will it eventually divide the West, which is, I suppose, his, uh, you know, his ambition or yes. his conviction? Because at the heart of this, I mean, there are two competing philosophies here. In the West, we have obviously liberal democracy where people have freedom of expression, freedom of thought. In China, it's it's very different. Now, I haven't been, but I mean, anything I've read suggests that in China, you kind of sacrifice a lot of those individual liberties for the party, for the good of the country. And that is the vision that Xi Jinping holds for, for his country. You also spoke about the fact that, you know, so much of it shrouded in, in mystery and secrecy and all of that. And partic- particularly the pol- the Politburo. Yeah, the Politburo. That's, only, that's a very small organi- aspect of Yeah, the, the Politburo Standing Committee is a seven-member committee, which is essentially the highest ranking body in the Communist Party. So yes. I suppose you could compare it here to, to the government, to the inner cabinet, if you like. People often talk about the cabinet and then you have the inner cabinet, which would be, I suppose, the Taoiseach, the Taunish, uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, the Minister for Finance, maybe, yes. uh, and the Minister for Public Expenditure. It, the Politburo Standing Committee is probably similar to that. So you have kind of party elders on it which dictate uh, party policy and dictate where the party is going. Interestingly... In this instant, there is no real successor emerging to Xi Jinping within that committee, which I think is probably... Orchestrated. Uh, orchestrated, yes, yes. I, I would certainly think you, so. You speak about party elders, but there's a cut-off point uh, of... Is it 68? Yeah, I found this intriguing as well. Uh, there's kind of a hint of ageism to it. Yeah, party uh, or party figures are expected to retire at 68. Now, she himself, the rule apparently 69. doesn't apply to him. He's 69 and, and intends to yeah. keep going for as long as he L- likes. Lots of women in that Politburo. Well, yeah, that, that is another problem if you were yeah. being very critical. There are very few women. I've read of maybe one or two emerging through the ranks and maybe they will come in time. But, but there is definitely a lack of 
of, of kind of older figures and a lack of women within the highest echelons of the party. But there is no doubt, overall, Xi has kind of has kind of revived the Communist Party right down to the neighbourhood level, to grassroots level. There are anecdotes of uh, party committees at local level enforcing COVID policies, enforcing lockdown rules and that. Yes. There, are, there are lots of stories uh, like that. And I think that has been his mission, to kind of restore the Communist Party at the heart of China. Very interesting. Any, what's the most recent talk in Taiwan after uh, Nancy Pelosi's... Uh... Yeah, I, I, I think China are a little bit cautious in relation to it. America has said it will defend Taiwan militarily. Yeah. It, it, it has put, Joe Biden has put that line out there. And I think that has prompted... A little bit of caution on the part of Chinese. Now, it's still a stated goal of the Chinese government and the Communist Party to 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 rule Taiwan and, and to render it part of China. But I think it's kind of holding its cannon fodder for, for the time being. For another day. All right, let us move uh, to sub-Saharan Africa and to a country that I hadn't heard of before. Will you tell us about this? Yeah. Burkina Faso. So uh, relatively, well, I suppose a relatively small part. It still has a a population of around 21 million, but it is a poor country and it has been afflicted by both terrorism and poverty. And last week it witnessed or experienced a second coup d'etat in less than a year. Uh, You know, coup d'etat is increasingly common across regions of Africa. Political stability, very common. In this instance, a man called Ibrahim Traore snatched power uh, from his predecessor, uh, who was Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henry Sandiogo Damiba, who wow. himself had swept to power in January of this year. So a coup on top of a coup. A coup on top of a coup. <laughs> yeah. Now, the reason for this one was motivated by the growing Islamist threat in the country. So we've mentioned previously on the programme how a lot of Islamic militant organisations affiliates of Al-Qaeda and Islamic states are growing in influence across the region. They're operating widely. They're perpetrating some devastating atrocities on the local population. So are they opportunistic in terms of, like, if there's volatility, yeah. and, uh, they, they'll move in there? Is uh, that... that seems to be the case. Yeah. I think they, they sense the kind of weakness of the political institutions. Yes. They sense, sense the weakness of the political system, and they see that as an opportunity to exploit and, and that seems to be exactly what they've done in the case of Bur- Burkina mm. Faso. And, you know, you can see why there would be an opportunity there. As I mentioned, population of just over 21 million people was looking at some stats from the World Bank. Outward migration, staggeringly high, people flocking out of the country. The average life expectancy is just 62 years of age and only 19% of inhabitants have access to proper electricity. So that oh is incredibly God. low. We were chatting about uh, Russia. Do they look to Moscow in some way? Yeah, uh, and this is another worrying element of, of this particular uh, crisis. People might be familiar with the Wagner Group or the Wagner Group. Yeah. They're a group of mer- Russian mercenaries. They're operating in Ukraine, known for their brutality, uh, for their brutal methods. And they also have influence across sub-Saharan Africa And it looks as if Burkina Faso is actually turning to this group to offset the the threat caused by Islamic militants. So that is very interesting in that they're not turning to the West. Burkina Faso was a former colony of France and traditionally it would have looked to France to address its security concerns. Mm. Not in this case. It seems to be pivoting towards Russia. 
And I think there are a number of reasons for that. Russia has, I suppose, launched a campaign of influence across Africa uh, to kind of to woo many of the states there. And I think this probably preceded the war in Ukraine, but there's no doubt it's looking to mm. build kind of a coalition. And us in the West, should we be concerned about this? I think it has to be a, a, yeah. a source of concern because, I mean, you know, with Russia intensifying operations there, China is well known as well uh, to have growing influence in Africa. It has invested huge amount. A lot of countries are now wedded to China with massive sums of debt because China has, has granted it loans and bonds and stuff like that. And I think it has to be a source of concern for, for the West. I think it's definitely something that has to be looked at. All right, OK. Well, Burkina Faso, I will keep it on my, my radar going forward. Danish politics, and as you say, you couldn't make this one up. Could no, you? you couldn't make this up. It, it, it's Now, initially, I read this story and I kind of started to smirk. When I read into it a little bit more, it, it was actually kind of distressing. So last week, Danish Prime Minister, Prime Minister Meta Friedrichsen, who's one of the many female leaders up in Scandinavia, she was forced to call a snap general election. And the reason is very interesting. It was triggered following kind of an almost farcical controversy relating to the botched cull of 17 million mink, uh, the mink population in the country during the pandemic. It was related to COVID-19 mm. contamination fears. I think there was a, a dangerous COVID variant identified in a number of mink farms in the north of the country. And the government clearly made a, a snap decision, probably a rash decision, uh, to cull mm. the entire mink population, not just the ones that were infected. Right, and why, why is mink so important to, to, to farmers there? Well, there is, there is a massive industry there. And I mean, there were, I was reading back and looking at a couple of videos, there were videos of mink farmers coming on television distraught in tears, distraught at the loss of their livelihoods. Um, and worried as to what they would do next. So it caused, it erupted into a major scandal at the time. And the scandal has kind of come back to bite the Danish Prime Minister, Meta Friedrichsen, more recently. Uh, I think there was an inquiry into events and it, it resulted in, in one of her coalition parties effectively withdrawing support, thus forcing her to call a snap general election. Now, the results of this election are, at, at present, too close to call. We don't know which way it's going to slant, but there's an interesting tradition in Denmark in that there have been a lot of minority governments in recent years, but there's also a lot of cross-party collaboration mm. in the Danish parliament, the Folketing. So, like a lot of Scandinavian countries, they seem to have it right in terms of politics. They seem yes. to be able to work together. And is there a rise of the right there? Like, like Yeah, familiarly enough, I mean, we heard it in Sweden, the Sweden Democrats. Yeah. We've seen it in Italy now more recently. The Danish People's Party are a right-wing grouping in Denmark and they seem to be increasingly influential. If a right-wing coalition does emerge from this, from this general election, it's likely that the Danish People's Party will either be part of it or they will be lending support in the form of a, minor a minority government. So, Remind us as well about the monarchy there, because uh, yeah. I suppose it's similar to the UK situation, is it? Similar, a little bit similar to the UK yeah. situation. Probably not as uh, as known uh, on a global stage yeah. or, a, yeah. or, or like that, but the monarch, uh, Queen Margaret II, is in charge. She is the symbolic head of state. 
Now, she's not immune to controversy. You know, I had to smile. Recently enough, she she's tried to slim down the royal family. So she decided to take a number of royal titles from uh, her grandchildren. And, of course, it provoked effectively a family feud. Uh, the grandchildren were furious. And I think it's one that... You know, I was about to say Prince Charles, King Charles III will be watching carefully because, I mean, that is his vision of the monarchy. He does... To slim it down. To slim it down, Ooh. to slim it down. And you can see how that would work. But obviously, you know, that that is a move which can precipitate controversy as well. Isn't that interesting? We were speaking there about uh, Burkina uh, Faso. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, somebody say, I worked in Burkina Faso wow. for a year. I was there in January when the coup first happened. Wow, wow. Yeah, that is amazing. And somebody else, you won't believe this one, they were out on Saturday night in Tipperary Town and they met somebody from Burkina Faso and he was a a decent old skin, it says. Well, I'm sure they are and I'm sure they are, yeah, and I'm sure they are. This is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, Indeed. We're we're all so global now, it's fantastic. What should we be watching out for, do you think, over the coming week? Yeah, a couple of quick stories. I decided to feature this first one. You've probably never heard of this person, uh, but she's about to become perhaps one of the most influential figures in the European Union. Her name is Therese Blanchett and she's emerged as the leading candidate to become the Secretary General of the European Council. Now, what is that? It's effectively the top diplomatic role within the European Union. So you often hear stories about these Brussels bureaucrats. Nobody knows who they are, anonymous faces who wield an awful lot of power. She could be considered one of them. She she will if she gets the job. Of course, she will sit in on on European leaders' meetings. Uh, she will have a lot of sway in terms of policy matters. There has been no timeline issued, but there uh, the council have been without a secretary general since last March. So it's it's expected that she or another candidate will be appointed quite soon. So just a name, just to keep in the back of your mind, Therese Blanchett, it's not all about Macron and Schultz and, yes. you know, and the rest of them and Hall. You know, the diplomats have an awful lot of influence, particularly at EU level. be very interesting to see. What is the story with Elon Musk at this point? Is he buying Twitter or isn't he buying Twitter? I don't know. Uh, has he happening? made his mind up at yeah. all? I, I think it looks like this at this stage, like he is likely to buy it. I think Twitter and him are in negotiations. He, he initially seemed very enthusiastic. Then he withdrew his bid. There was a controversy earlier in the year yeah. over the terms. He looks to have come back into the fold now and I think there are ongoing negotiations on, I suppose, the final complexion of the deal. And if he does take it over, there is one big question and and listeners will already know this. Does he reinstate Donald Trump to the platform and what implications would that have uh, for... The presidency. For the presidency and for well, it w- US it politics. It would be huge. I yeah, think it would it? be huge. It would yeah. supercharge his presidency. Uh, Democrats in Washington are very worried about it. I've even heard some Republicans are, are quite worried. They're fearful that maybe Trump's reckless tweets could could damage some of their own candidates. But I think from his perspective, it could only do him good. That's yeah, going to be very interesting indeed. And finally, elections in uh, Bulgaria. Yeah, we had an election in Bulgaria last week, the fourth election in 18 months, no less, which is kind of astonishing. Uh, but it looks like a right-wing coalition led by former Prime Minister Boyko Borisov is set to sweep the power, to take the reins of power. He's going to displace the outgoing Prime Minister, Kirill Petkov. There are questions looming over kind of Bulgarian society. There's a there's a strong current of kind of pro-Kremlin sentiment there. Yeah. It didn't quite come true within the elections. There were a couple of minor parties who did 
with a programme the line who did relatively well. But I think the main story here is the level of political instability in the country. As I said, four, four elections in 18 months, that is never a good sign. So, I mean, what Bulgaria has to do now is try and gain a bit of stability at governmental level because, you know, all this change is never good and it often sows division within kind of the body mm. politic. And are you making the point that that might be useful for pro-Russian pro Yeah, well, pro I think so. Yeah. As we as we alluded to yeah. Russia, you know, and its activities in, in Africa, it's not limited to Africa. Any country where there's instability, we saw it intervened in the US elections to try and create instability there. Any volatility, any instability, they will capitalise on. So I think it's, it's important for, for Bulgaria to kind of uh, gain a bit of stability at governmental level. All right. Thomas, it's always good to talk to you and always most interesting. Thanks very much Thank you, Frank. for dropping into us again. That's uh, Thomas Conway and that's our Tip Today Goes Global Slot. News and information's on the way. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, 1800 is our free phone number to speak to uh, Emma. You can text in WhatsApp. 083 You can email, by the way, at any time. That's tip uh, today at tipfm.com. Now, of course, we're on air every single weekday morning from 9 o'clock. And uh, this morning in the 9 o'clock hour, we spoke to Teresa about the fears uh, that people have in rural areas with an increase in crime and intimidation. Here's what she had to say to us just after 9 this morning. So I rang the guards. I said my dog is after going mad and I know I have people coming in. The guard's answer was, let the dog out. I said, you must be joking. And the reason why I said that is, if my dog went out and bitch who came in, they'd have the law to put down my dog, which is wrong. People is in the right to protect their own home. There's not a big cover in us. Now, right, I'm a single person on my own. I have a dog. But if I went to have a, a gun, which I don't have, or whatever way I use of stopping someone coming in, and I actually killed that person, I'm the one going on trial for killing them, who is entering illegally, who didn't come up to the front door and knock. So where's the law protecting us? Do you live in fear a lot of the time? I used to, friend, but now at this stage, I'm going to the stage, well, if you come in my door, I'm going to attack if you come in wrong. I don't care whether it means how, how turning do, on... How do you mean you're going to attack? I don't mean if it's... I mean, if it's turning on lights, letting a roar at you, get out. I mean, if I have to grab a shovel or grab a, a pitchfork or whatever I have to do to protect myself, I will do it. Now, the people will say to me, that's wrong. But what do you do? Do you let them in and bathe the different daylight, are you? Do they, do they leave you dead and go? Is I mean, it, something you... has to come to protect us. And that's uh, Teresa just after nine o'clock this morning, as I say on air, every morning from 
uh, nine every weekday morning. Um, a listener wants to say, well, Fran, on the topic of people entering farms, lamping with uh, dogs without permission, it makes my blood boil. I'm a professional hunter. We cover around 3,000 acres all over Tipperary and Offaly. And we all have courses done for shooting deer and have all the relevant paperwork. We've never entered any lands without permission from the owner. One time you would be contacting farmers looking for permission to shoot their, on their lands, but in the last year they're contacting us looking for us to shoot. I suppose with the cost of fertilisers now, maybe 20 or 30 uh, deer eating grass every night, it's costing them a lot of money. Whether we're shooting deer or lamping foxes, we always give the owner what make uh, the make of our vehicles uh, we have, and we give them the rage numbers. So if they ever get a call from somebody that's giving them our numbers, uh, they will know what the story is. Uh, We've met uh, trespassers from miles away, hunting with dogs, driving cattle and sheep uh, through fences. These people have caused damage to fences and livestock, and people like us, who hunt with respect to owners. Um, they're giving us a bad name. I've given the rage number of a van with three people in it, lamping without permission to the owner. He gave it to the guards, which was four weeks ago, and up to last week, he heard nothing back. I just hope people don't paint all hunters uh, like these illegal hunters, it says here, on 83 now, there's no doubt that we've had our absolute fill of news, and I mean news with a capital N recently. We've had uh, the budget, the cost of living crisis, the war rumbling on in Ukraine, blackouts, and all happening at this shifting time of year when autumn sweeps in. Now, so I wonder many of us are feeling a little uprooted and a little wobbly. So how can we find some calm in the midst of all the storms? Well, Smiranda Meyer of the Holistic Health Hub joins me now. Smiranda, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Thank you for having me. You're, and you're, uh, you're happy World Mental Health Day. And happy World Mental Health Day to you as well. And, of course, this all plays into mental health as, as well, doesn't it, when we're all anxious and often afraid as well. Absolutely. And I'm going to start with a bit of positive vibe. Uh, so I will say a huge congratulations to you and Emma. I was delighted to hear that oh, you... you. Uh, yeah, it, it's a great achievement and uh, enjoy it. Thank you, we have We have so many bad news and hard-to-deal with news. So I think any bit of positiveness, I call them micro-moments of happiness. And I, I actually... Um, try to educate my mind to see those small bits of spells of happiness because they are there. Well, so we just have to educate to see them. You're very kind and it certainly cheered us up, uh, that's for sure. Where are we going to find the resilience from, do you think, Miranda? So, yes, what you, what you said there um, about the news and uh, I want to go back a little bit to say about the stress. So, um, There are three types of stress, emotional, physical, and chemical. And what happens in the world in the last two years, more than two years, they are coming not only one at a time. They are coming two stresses, three stresses, two stress types at a time in in one go. So what I meant is we have the war in Ukraine and the flu or call them any way at all, and it's a chemical type of stress. And that generates emotions because we deal with 
price is going to the roof and all these things. So it's more, much challenging for us those days to deal with stress. So the only way to deal with stress is to learn to be resilient, really. And how can we learn that? Um, we can do exactly the way how the stresses are treated. The resilience can be built in three ways. Uh, exercises, food, and mindfulness. That's my recipe because we are three-dimensional uh, um, human beings. Mm. Beings, really. So we, if we only do mindfulness but we don't eat and don't exercise um don't eat properly and don't exercise, it's not enough. If we do only exercising and we still think negatively, it's not enough. So we have to work on three uh, dimensions, really. Right, so it's a combination of all of that. You know, we hear mindfulness being tossed around as a term all of the time. I'm not sure about how how we understand it fully. Would you explain what what is your definition of mindfulness? So... My definition of mindfulness is to be aware. Mm. We can't be happy all the time, and that's not our mission of uh, as human beings. We we can't be happy, and it's not even it's not well to be happy all the time. So, to be mindfulness is how long we are stay, we stay in a state of um, stress or how long we are staying in a, sta- in a state of anger, or how long we are staying in a state of um, low mood or mm. uh, sadness. Allow these feelings is the main, the main thing from my point of view. Allow them, acknowledge them, and release them. Right, so don't fight them, is that what you mean? Somewhere? Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. Because it, it's part of us, it's part of our brain and heart and spirit to, to sense these feelings. If we put them under the rug and we just put that happy face and all is well in the world, it's not all well in the world. And it's perfectly fine. Just help. We have to. We we have to. I don't like the the word we have to. But it's good for us to find a way to deal with this um, um, low. Right. And and how do you do that? Because I presume you don't dwell on it. I mean, you acknowledge that these are your thoughts, but then what do you do? Okay, so we can, for example, find um, a way what, I always said, we are uh, unique. What suits me doesn't suit you, friend, mm. or other people. So we can find a way how what, what fits well with us, like meditation, mm. or take a deep breath, or um, Deconnect from everything for that, and and that's meditation really. They connect for deconnect from um, thirty seconds if mm. that's right for you, and just close your eyes, go inside, and realize that the the war in Ukraine is in Ukraine and is not here in inside yourself, or the budget was voted like do you understand what I, it it is happening, but. For 30 seconds, go inside, close the eyes, and we have building this fear, a fear of the fear, because the fear is only real when it's uh, life-threatening. It's very interesting. And you know, your voice is so relaxing, and when you were talking about that, I just realised that my shoulders are up around my ears, and I'm I'm really, you know, I'm in a stressed 
sort of position here. But, you know, now that I'm relaxed a bit, I feel a bit better. But I am telling you, if you, even there, uh, when you have 10 seconds and you close your eyes and you go inside and you realize that the world didn't fall apart because Tran relaxed for 10 seconds mm-hmm. or Smaranda just disconnects from anything, everything around and goes. And that builds a huge amount of resilience because you prepare yourself for the next challenge for your own being. Um, we are not designed to face a danger. When I'm saying danger, I'm saying an emotional challenge or an emotion, a physical challenge or a chemical challenge for uh, constantly. We, we have to bring ourselves in the homeostasis and that's balance. At least for, yeah. for a short period of time to, face, to give us a chance to recalibrate ourselves and then to face an, another one. But if we constantly stay um, on alert, our, our mind, uh, our uh, mental health is absolutely in danger. You, you you mentioned diet there as well, and we'll be talking about that in relation to sleep, in fact, in just a little while. But but diet, um, how how does that build our resilience? Diet is huge because um, 95 of uh, our happiness hormones, which are serotonin and endorphins, are um, made and stored in our gut, uh, in our gut. Mm. And if our gut is healthy and balanced, imagine how beneficial is that for the brain. So how can we do that? Is eating food what love us back. That's my my uh, mm. um, recipe for, which are less in sugar, um, whole uh, food, not ultra processed and um support with antioxidants and fruits and fats and fibers, which are vital for the, the mm. gut health. And that actually helps your, 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 your mental health then? Of course, because yes. it's not one way. So it's not only, you know, the butterfly um, feeling when you have something going on. Even myself now this morning getting ready, I had that butterflies in my tummy that, okay, I'm going live. And... Uh, it's not only from the brain the stress is, feel, is felt by the gut. It's the other way around as well. So by uh, feeding yourself with uh, proper food and healthy food and may, uh, bringing your um, gut in balance, you actually signal the brain to be more relaxed. The third one you mentioned, of course, is the one that will definitely embarrass me now, Miranda, because you're, t- you're talking about exercise and how important that is. Yes, exercises are important. Mm. Now, when I'm saying exercising, it's everything what raises your heart a little bit, make your heart more um, alive, if I can mm. say. And that's you, whatever can, uh, whatever fits well with you as, as everything else. So you don't have to force to do something, not from my point of view anyway. Mm. Because when you when you overdo it or when you push yourself, then you, you will, your brain will get into a state of I have to, which is not I want to do it. So if you say to yourself, okay, it's my decision today to go out for a walk for 20 minutes or to... Um, 
I don't know. There are so many ways to, to go in the nature. To yes, take the bike a, a and cycle go for, or something like that. Cycle, yeah. Exactly. Take yeah. the bike and go for a cycle. Uh, kayaking, name it, whatever, yoga. Uh, mm. Just do something. And it's not because it's trendy. It's not because you want to lose weight. It's not because it's because your brain loves uh, endorphins. And what you do exercising is load your brain with endorphins. So it's and that will, will be will be you just support yourself in this um, crazy world in this moment. What you need to do is to nourish yourself and to support yourself to function properly. That's our job to yes. keep us. Going. And and we deserve that. And of course, you can't be any good to anybody else, Miranda, un, unless you're resilient and sort of that you're healthy yourself. Hundred percent. Yeah. You can't pour from an empty jug, and we all know this. We all know this. The holistic health hub that's online. There's lots of good advice there, Miranda. Yes, uh, it is uh, online. Um, I am actually doing online and offline, whatever people prefer in these hmm. uh, times. Uh, holistichealthhub.org is my website. And from there on, now I have a beautiful um, landing page, website. Hmm. It's all good. So I am happy to um, to take people from there and they can contact me if they need help and support. Very good. Well, it's lovely to talk to you. And I'm a bit more relaxed now, Miranda. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on with me. Thank You're you. You're very welcome. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 That's uh, Miranda Meyer there of the Holistic Health Hub if you want some advice on resilience and looking after yourself and all of that. I love her voice and it almost relaxes me. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Lots more text coming into us and I'll put it together and bring it to you in just a little while. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery's Garage. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Well, we're trying to look after your health on this uh, Monday morning with all the trials and tribulations uh, that are out there and all the bad news and stuff. Now, we all know that if you've had a bad night's sleep, the next day it can be game over indeed. It's hard to concentrate. You're yawning all day. And, funnily enough, you're prone to eating less nutritious meals if you're very tired as well. Well, Patrick McCone is a leading international expert on breathing and sleep and joins me now. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, Sam. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today. What is it about, I mean, if, if we've had a bad night's sleep, we tend to want to eat all the wrong things, do we not? Uh, well, we can overeat, yeah. especially if we, if we have a bad night's sleep and if we're stopping breathing during sleep. So you can imagine somebody, they're asleep and they're snoring and then they stop breathing. So that can be a condition called obstructive sleep apnea and it, it plays up with hormones. And there's one hormone that will increase called ghrelin and ghrelin stimulates your appetite. And it's a vicious circle then because you eat more, you put on more weight this affects your breathing patterns, makes you more susceptible to sleep disorders. And it is all tied in with mental health, just as you mentioned, you know, with what's going on. 
there's a strong link between obstructive sleep apnea, which is often undiagnosed, and depression. And I can only have, or I can only think about the number of people with depression and mental health complaints, but they don't get their sleep investigated, and there's something overlooked there. Isn't that very interesting indeed? But that certainly would be your experience, that people who have difficulty with the likes of sleep apnea, could it can lead to, to mental health issues. Well, there's no question, and this has been written about for 30 years. Uh, one particular doctor who coined the phrase obstructive sleep apnea wrote about this back in the 1980s. And there's even more recent studies on it up until this day. And the other aspect is that people who are prone to trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, they have a higher susceptibility than sleep issues. And their recovery is going to be slower unless sleep is addressed. So I just feel sometimes with, with health that we kind of tend... We hone in on one function of the body without looking at the bi-directional relationship between one and another. And for breathing, for sleep and mental health, they are all tied in. And as you say, like it's not just with adults either, it's with children as well. Mm. I'll give you one, one study that was car- carried out in Stratford-upon-Avon. It was published in 2012. They looked at 11,000 children in the UK. And children who were snoring and having mouth breathing and apnea if untreated by age eight, they had a 40% increased risk of special education needs. So this is going beyond just how the child is feeling on that day. And the issue is with children is that their brain grows and develops during slow wave sleep. So a child really, really needs this slow wave deep sleep because that's when their brain is developing. But any of us as adults know, if we've had a lousy sleep, we're not going to be in a great mood the following day. For sure, yeah. So we have to look at that connection. And to me, the, the simplest thing to do is start getting the mouth closed during sleep. And that starts with breathing through your nose during the day. Because if you have your mouth open during sleep, if you're waking up with a dry mouth in the morning, you're not likely to wake up feeling refreshed. And how can we train ourselves then to breathe through our nose? You can. There's about 50% of the adult population would wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. Yeah. Um, now, we we use a particular tape, to be honest with you, that we've been using for about 20 years. And but what I would say to people is start getting your mouth closed during the day. The more you breathe through your nose during the day, the better your nose works. And you, you can develop the habit by focusing on your breathing during the day and then making sure that prior to sleep that your lips are together, your jaws are relaxed, you don't want your teeth biting on top of each other because that can generate um, bruxing or clenching. And to wake up with the mouth closed and the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, and that would be an ideal situation. Now, there's a tape that we use. It's called Myo Tape, which is my own tape. But I would start off getting your mouth closed during the day and for people to be more aware of it because mm. the nose is the only organ in the human body that serves any purpose in terms of breathing. Now, of course, we can breathe through the mouth, but the mouth actually doesn't do anything in terms of filtering or moistening or conditioning the incoming air. And mouth breathing is faster breathing, it's upper chest breathing. And when we breathe fast in upper chest during rest, the body is telling the brain that things are not okay. So the brain then could go into that fight or flight response because we can change our physiology by changing our breathing. And I can only think of, say, somebody going in to do an exam and you have a kid outside on, a, on their way into the exam hall and the child is anxious and they're breathing a little bit faster and upper chest, well, that's going to impact their ability to concentrate. And even if that child understood, breathe through your nose and slow down the speed of the exhalation. Because whenever we take a soft breath in through the nose and that slow and relaxed and gentle exhalation, 
the body is telling the brain that things are okay. But if during rest we are breathing mouth, if we're sighing frequently, breathing upper chest, breathing fast, the body is telling the brain that things aren't okay. And the brain is here to protect us. So it's very important the signals that we send the brain. And this research has been out over the last 30 years with vagus nerve and heart rate variability. So there's objective data on it. But we can change our own states by changing breathing. That's very interesting. The last time you spoke to me, there was a huge interest in that tape you're talking about, uh, that uh, tape to keep our mouth uh, closed while we're, while we're sleeping. Is that available on your online? Yes. There's a website called myotape.com. Will you spell so that for me? M-Y-O tape.com. And most of our work is in the United States, so it's priced in dollars, but it's $25 for three-month supply which is it's about €25 Euro now at the moment because the dollar is always, almost on par. Um, but for it, yeah, it's not everybody needs to tape, but for those people who persistently wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, it's mm. very important. And the other thing that I would say is that I wrote an article that was published in Irish Dentist this autumn, and it's looking at the impact of mouth breathing and sleep, but also mouth breathing on dental health, because if we have the mouth open, we're more prone to inflammation of the gums and dental cavities and bad breath. So when you go into your dental surgery and you're seeing a poster up in the wall about good oral hygiene, toothbrushing and eating the right foods, we also should be thinking about nose breathing because it's the saliva in the mouth that helps to protect the teeth and promote good dental health. So nose breathing is, for me, is a, should be as highly regarded as toothbrushing. That's very interesting indeed. Um, if if your nose breathing while you're asleep, I presume you don't snore, do you? Well, you can snore through your nose, but you're not going to snore through your mouth because your mouth is closed. Right. So anybody who snores through the mouth, and they can, you, you'll know by the sound, it goes like this. The mouth snore goes like this. So once the mouth is closed, mouth snoring stops. And nose snoring goes a little bit like this. So nose snoring, there's turbulence inside the nose and the nasopharynx. Now, we can have to reduce nasal snoring, but we may not get rid of it because it's also going to be influenced by the anatomy of the nose if somebody has a deviated septum or a very compromised nose. And the other thing is, this is where I would always say to people, don't just tape your mouth tonight. Make sure you can actually breathe comfortably through your nose. Yes. And start spending a few days breathing through your nose. And if your nose does feel stuffy, there are simple techniques that you can do to help decongest it, such as holding the breath. But go easy if you have anxiety or panic disorder. Uh, don't do it if you're pregnant, for example. You know, it's just using, um, yeah, like the the exercise we put up, we put up online anyway. They're available on YouTube, and they work pretty well. But the one thing about the human nose, it's a wonderful organ once we use it. It's very interesting. And if during the day we want to get used to the notion of breathing through our nose, like how how do you do that? Is it just like when you're not yapping, when you're not talking, just to breathe comfortably through your nose? Is that it? Yeah, pretty much. Well, be a sad, sad person who's going to be talking all day, although <laughs> I'm sure it can happen every now and again. Yes, yeah. You know, there's, there's plenty of times where we have silence. And I think it's also very good to take our attention out of our mind and onto our breathing. And just to be a little bit more self-aware. And it can help to bring a solace to the mind as well because overthinking is often an addiction and quite simply an addiction is when we cannot stop. And we have developed the habit of thinking and we can't always switch off the mind. But 
when we bring our attention onto our breathing and we hold our attention on the breath, we're taking our attention out of the mind. Now, I would go beyond this. This is not just about awareness of the breath, but actually change your breathing patterns to down-regulate, especially when you're feeling stressed. And a simple tool is always think of the speed of your exhalation. And if you have that gentle breath in through your nose and that relaxed and slow and prolonged exhalation, and you're focusing on nasal breathing, but you're also focusing on slowing down the exhalation, you can have to change your state. And all it takes is about 30 seconds. Now, even though if you feel you're really wound up and you feel that the breathing technique isn't doing much for you, it is, but you may not feel it. But when looking at that and heart rate variability, we can show that the cha- we can change physiology in as little as 30 seconds by just slowing down the exhalation. It's most interesting. Why why do we not teach this in our schools? I mean, it wouldn't be great if our kids knew about this. Well, I would love to see it being taught in schools. Um, you know, it is starting to come to the, the, the more attention, more awareness of it now. It's like it's taken about 20 years from our end. Um, we're starting to see it happen. Children who are mouth-breathing don't fare so well. I was a mouth-breathing child. I'd undiagnosed sleep disorders. Your focus is impacted, your concentration is impacted, your academic ability is impacted. Now, I got my degree, but it took a lot of work and it could have been a lot easier. And there must be hundreds of thousands of children in the same situation. Between 25 to 50% of studied children persistently mouthbreed. So it's very common. And I think it gets overlooked because it's so simple. No child should be walking into a dental surgery or to a doctor's or any healthcare professionals going in with their mouth open without the healthcare professional encouraging that child to breathe through their nose. I wished that they would have instructed and told me or requested or encouraged me to breathe through my nose as a child. I came across this when I was 26 years of age. It completely transformed my life. And I've seen it with hundreds of thousands of people um, because our work now, we have about 3,000 instructors in 50 countries So we get a lot of information coming back to us, even though we're based in the west coast of Ireland. And we see the impact it has. But, you know, even about three weeks ago, I spoke at the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry. And here you have a thousand healthcare professionals all interested in sleep and dentistry and nasal breathing. They are aware of nasal breathing, but unfortunately, not all healthcare professionals are aware of the importance of nose breathing. I think it will happen, and when that happens, the schools then will start to embrace it. But it's going to have to take that. It's very interesting. You told us about myotape.com. What about your own website, if people want to find out more about what it is you do, Patrick? Sure. Our main website is oxygenadvantage.com, and we have another website then, butecoclinic.com. So Buteco Mm. Clinic will be more for health, for asthma, for sleep issues, for anxiety, panic disorder. And the oxygen advantage is more for mental and physical performance. Right. And can people get help from you online as well? Can you see people online or how does that work? Yes, we, we have workshops continuously ongoing mm. and we have a lot of instructors internationally as well. Mm. And so, and we have courses and everything is available. We're also going to release a new app in about four weeks' time and we've put about $150,000 into it. So it's self-funded. We funded it ourselves. And the purpose of the app is it's going to contain every breathing exercises to change states. And we're putting the app out for free. There's no subscription. There's no request for emails. There's nothing. Basically, the user downloads the app and it will have a library of different breathing exercises. They can put in input or data. 
and it will give them a specific sequence of exercises to do that day with different purposes. So the the goal of this is really to drive awareness and to get it out there. And it is happening. You know, there's a number of books that have been written that have really been prominent in, in generating awareness. And we think that the app is going to help with that. I do feel it's time, you know, that even if we consider the anxiety and panic disorder population, 75% of them have dysfunctional breathing. And their dysfunctional breathing is feeding into their anxiety and panic disorder. It's very important to show people how can you change your breathing patterns. And this is going way beyond mindfulness. I'm a fan of mindfulness, but I often feel that when the mind is in a state of emotional turmoil, the last thing you want to be doing is observant of your breath. How can we change breathing with simple techniques that we don't even need to pay attention to our breathing, but we can change states by changing breathing? And I think it needs to get out there. What, so the what will the app be, be called, or do you know that yet? Yes, Oxygen Advantage. Oxygen Advantage, OK. There will be a huge interest in that, I would imagine. Uh, Patrick, thanks for your time this morning. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye Thanks to you. so Bye-bye much. Bye-bye now. That's Patrick McKeown there uh, speaking to us this morning. That's Myotape, M-Y-O. T-A-P-E dot com because I know there will be a lot of people out uh, looking for that. All right, we'll take a break and then we'll have a look at uh, sport. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Hello to Arthur and to Catherine. And uh, they're on the way home after a great weekend in Ennis, uh, they say, with uh, Muriel and Fran. And thank you. And uh, I'm glad you're you're safely heading home at this point. And we had a ball over the weekend. So many Tipperary people in County Clare over the weekend. I met uh, with uh, Terry and June and uh, Rainey and uh, Ruth and John were there. And Liam Fitzgerald from Cashel as well. Lovely to see Liam. Hadn't seen him, seen him in ages as well. And Donny and Mary. And I know I'm going to leave a lots of people out but anyway it's great to see so many Tipperary people in Ennis over the weekend um, all sorts of queries coming in where Patrick is concerned we'll package them together and we'll get some answers for you and thank you for that time now to talk sports and we're going to Nina and to our sports editor Paul Carroll Paul good morning to you morning Fran how are you I'm very well indeed GAA first of all down to the final two in uh, the County Senior Hurling Championship Paul that's it, Fran. Yeah, we had a, a double header of County Senior Hurling semi-finals yesterday. Just looking out there today, today is a lovely day. Mm. Uh, Saturday was a lovely day, but yesterday was an absolute yeah. washout down at Darlis yeah. for the both games. But um, still two very good games of hurling, in my opinion, anyway. Clarone McDonough's uh, beat Upper Church Drumban 217 to 114, and Killadangan beat Drummond Inch 121 to 117. So it's going to be Killarone McDonough's against Killadangan in this year's uh, Tipperary Senior Hurling Championship final. Um, just on the games yesterday, Jerry Cahill put in a, a special performance for Killer One, um, scoring 1 4, and he set up the other goal for Keane Darcy as well. So an unreal performance there for him for Killer One. And then for Killadangan, uh, Dan O'Mara's goal in, in the last puck of the game really sealed what was a deserved victory for Killadangan. Um, they had a much better uh, team performance all around than they had all, all year. Um, so the Kildan crowd will be happy with, with how their team looked yesterday. Um, Killer One are in their first final now since 1986. And for Kildangan, it's their third final in four years. So they're looking for their second 
ever title after the uh, 2020 win, of course. At the other end of the Senior Hurling Championship, Temple Derry survived relegation. They won the relegation final on Saturday, beating Aero Ganacarthy 221 to 19 uh, points. Great disappointment in Anacarthy, I can tell you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, a great club, and they've been they've been just keep keeping up the last couple of years and. Yeah. Uh, just slipped down this year but there'll be a, a force to be reckoned with in, in the second tier next year I'd imagine um, but speaking of the second tier the lineup for this year's Premier Intermediate Hurling Championship final is also confirmed uh, two uh, semi-finals on Saturday Ross Gray beat Burgess 119 to 117 and Curtin Glengool beat St Mary's 318 to 22 points so it's going to be Ross Gray versus Curtin in the final and that will be on before the senior final um, that will be a double header in Semple Stadium on the Sunday the 23rd of October um, at the other end of the Premier Intermediate Media Championship, Carrick Swan stayed up. They beat Kiladangan second team in the relegation final, 118 to 17 points. And then in the intermediate, uh, all the intermediate quarterfinals in the Hurland Championship run over the weekend, uh, Drummond Inch beat Knockavilla Dunnesky Kickhams, 119 to 211. Laura beat Bursacane after extra time, 123 to 25 points. Skihin Arinki, last year's junior champions, there are eight points to five winners over Golden Kilfiegel. I think the, the conditions down in Clanmel during that, mm. w- when that game was on, really affected that. So eight points to five, not something you see too often in hurling games. But Skihin Arinki won't mind throwing to the semi final. And uh, Money Goal were 16 points to 1 9 winners over Kilsheel and Kilcash. And the draws for those semi finals will be made later on tonight. So you'll be able to hear all about that on uh, Extra Time with Ronan Quirk at 7 o'clock. Very good indeed. On to Camogie then and the County Senior Camogie final, I suppose. Yeah, it's going to be another uh, Drum and Inch versus County Rossmore County Senior Camogie final. The two semi finals are on over the weekend. Uh, Drum beat Anna Carthy in their semi final. This was on Saturday in the County Camogie grounds in the RAG. 4 9 to 15 points. Uh, Drum and Inch got the win there. And in the other semi-final, it's Clonalty, who were one thirteen to one twelve winners over Cashel, so just got their way into the uh, into the county final. Drum are on for four in a row now. They beat Clonalty in last year's final, so it's going to be a repeat of that game. And last year, Drum won three nine to one ten, so another tight game expected there. On to rugby then, Paul and Nina Orman doing good. Yeah, they continued their great start to the to the season and to the AIL season. They won their Division 2A game at home to Barnhall, 25 points to 24. I think it was a James Finn penalty, kind of last kick of the game to win it there for Nina. Um, that was on Saturday afternoon. Also on Saturday, Cashel bounced back well after last week's narrow defeat to Navin. They were beaten by a late try against Navin last week, but this week they were 32 points to nine winners over UL Bohemians. And uh, the two Tipperary teams there in Division 2A, Nina and Cashel, actually meet next Friday evening in Nina at 8 o'clock, so that'll be a, a big occasion there in uh, New Ormond Park. And also on Saturday in Division 2C, uh, Clonmel were beaten away to Oma Academicals, 24 points to 13. So a long trip up to Tyrone and back for the, for the Clonmel lads there. To ladies football then, and uh, the Munster quarterfinals over the weekend. Yeah, there's two Tipperary teams uh, representing the county in the Munster uh, Championship uh, ladies football. First in the Senior B, Clamell Commercials. Uh, they're now into the Munster Senior B, Munster semi-final, I should say. Uh, they won their quarter-final tie, beating Fermoy 1-6 to 8 points. So a one, one-point win there down in Cork for Clamell Commercials. And then, unfortunately, Mike Carkey Burris were beaten in the Junior A quarter-final. They were beaten away to Ballyvorney of Cork, 3-15-3-7. And to cycling and the great Sam Bennett... Yeah, he finished off his season on a relative high anyway. He finished third in yesterday's uh, Paris Tours Classic and that was the uh, the final race of the season for the Carrick on Shoreman. So um, he was kind of an injury-laden uh, season t- towards the start but he got a few uh, stage wins there in the middle. So overall, a, a nice season for uh, the Bora Hansgrove man. Let's look ahead then in GAA, Paul. 
Yeah, it's time to to get back to football this mm-hmm. weekend now in, in Tipperary. The football finals uh, weekend doubleheader in Semple Stadium on Sunday. Both the games will be live here on Tip FM. First at one o'clock on Sunday, it's Ballina versus Mullinahon in the intermediate final. And then at quarter past three, it's Clonmel Commercials taking on Upper Church Drumban. And as I said, we'll have both of those games live here on Tip FM. Then on Saturday, the Tom Cusack Cup final takes place. That's Killinall against uh, Rockwell Rovers. That's at half past two in Clonmel. There's also two Junior A County semi-finals next Saturday. Thurlis Sarsfields take on Ballingarry in Cashel at half two. What's at the same time in Bansha, it's Sean Tracy's up against Clarehan. And there's also a Junior B County quarterfinals next weekend. Um, and we'll hear about them uh, later in the week. And also an intermediate hurling relegation final uh, next weekend. So one hurling game to look forward to next weekend. Ballon Hinch versus Shannon Rovers. Two North teams battling it out to stay in the intermediate championship. That one gets underway in Tumivara next Saturday at half past two. And in Camogie, what can we look forward to? Yeah, it's the intermediate Camogie semi-finals, Fran, next weekend. Saturday, doubleheader in the County Camogie ground. Uh, it's Newport Banlin Hinch versus Shannon Rovers at one o'clock. Then at half past three, it's Bursley versus Killerone McDonough's. And then on Sunday, there's a pair of county finals in the County Camogie Rounds in the Rag. Clownty Ross Moore against Shannon Rovers at one p.m. in the Junior B two final. Then the Junior A final throws in at half past three with Money Gold playing Brian Bruce and Rugby Paul. Yeah, as I said, the Tipperary Derby on, on Friday at 8 o'clock in New Ormond Park here in Nina. And Nina taking on Cashel, that's in Division 2A. And then on Saturday at half past two, Clonmel are at home to Tullamore in Division 2C. And finally, soccer. Yeah, finally, soccer next weekend. Uh, we have the FAI Junior Cup second round games taking place. That These are all on next Sunday. Uh, the, a lot of fixtures going on, but the pick of them, I suppose, is Clonmel Celtic versus St. Michael's and uh, Peak Villa versus Clonmel Town. It's uh, be a, a close game there. All right, much to look forward to. Paul, thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. Thanks, Thank Ryan. you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Paul. And uh, Paul, of course, uh, from our Nina Sports Desk, our sports editor, 1800 oh, The budget has been a, a hot topic in many homes lately. A lot of families are struggling to make ends uh, meet during the cost of living crisis. But how do you speak to your kids about managing their money during these tough times? And I'm glad to be joined now by Christine. Christine, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Good to talk to you today. Um, have you any advice, Christine, for, for kids and what advice they should they should look at where their money is concerned? Well, like, as I say, like, always teach your kids from a young age how to manage their money. And, like, I ha- I'm currently rearing a seven-year-old boy myself and uh, I, I, I have his money box there in his room and his credit union savings and stuff like that. And I always teach him, like, you know, if he gets money put it away to go on holidays. We try to go on a foreign holiday every year for his birthday, around the time of his birthday, because it's in May. So, like, I always, <clears throat> excuse me, I always try to teach him, like, you know, how to manage money, but still at the same time, when they're kids, you don't want to put too much financial pressure on a young person's shoulders, like, either. So, like, you kind of have to let them go in every so often when they get a few pounds off of someone and get something they really wanted, like, you know. But it's, it's great to see that kids would be involved in their own budgeting, you know, because I remember years ago we had the little post office book and all of that kind of thing. And, and family savings. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and that seems to have disappeared in a lot of homes. They're just money doled out to kids, Christine. Yeah, well, like, as I say, like, you see people giving kids fibres here and there, like, they all add up. So, yeah. Like, I, as I say to him, I have one of those, um, thought I got it in the pound shop from uh, Cartoon Power Patrol, uh, thing he got in the pound shop money box but you yes. can't open it unless you open it with a tin opener right. so he can't even make a few pounds out of it like you know if he wants something yeah. but like I do try to teach him that like 
nothing comes for free and like even you know like turning off lights here and there and he's like why do I have to do that and I'm like because you have to pay a bill at the end of the month to keep the electricity on it's, so, a, it's, a, it's a very good to be able to do that and how does he take does he see you as being sort of nagging him or is he kind of getting yeah, the hang of it at this point he's fairly good because like I've, I've done it from when he was a baby like you know I've never like he, he's a child now that doesn't need a light on to sleep you know so like there's no light left on in the night time here he has his little light beside his bed and if he needs to get up at night time to go to the toilet or get a drink or whatever he turns on his light and he understands in the morning when he wakes up the first thing he does is turn off the switch on the wall so that light is off and then when he gets into bed at night he turns it back on because there are the times we're living in unfortunately you know and every household is the same but like it's sad when like the kids like there there was a few mornings there now you know that he hadn't turned off the switch or whatever and he'd say and I'd say no no it's alright mammy will do it but like do you know you don't want to put too too much, too much like, pressure on them I think, yeah. too much pressure on them that like he'd, if he was inside school thinking oh I didn't turn off my switch do you know I've never made a big deal of him not turning it off or something so like but I always try to remind him when you're finished doing something don't like when you're finishing the bathroom turn off the light when you're on the way out or do you know something like that like that he's not going around leaving everything on all the time and walking off and leaving stuff like you know but it's interesting the way you're doing it because you're making it part of his day as opposed to coming out of the blue and you giving out and it turning into a big family row then yeah yeah I've, I've kind of like reared him from like a baby so like it's nothing big but like Still, at the same time, it's it's hard in this day and age that, like, you have to, unfortunately, teach your kids from when they're young, like, how to skimp and save, basically, like, you know, because, like, leaving a switch on all night if, in a household where times are at the minute, mm. that, that could cut that could run up a bill that you don't need, like, you know. It certainly could. Or, or leaving the PlayStation on or, you know, a phone charger or something. Like, know. he knows how yeah. he charges. He's got his little phone for his games and stuff. And he char- I plug in his phone during the day so it's not left charging all night because, like, that's just something we don't need on during the night, you know, and it's dangerous to get to leave a charge and all night. For sure, So, like, yeah. he, he, like, he, ha- he has that routine as well that, like, he doesn't plug in his phone at night before he goes in the morning. I plug it in and then I plug it out then and during the day or whatever. Very good. And of course, it's a, it's a safety issue as well, indeed, with these things being left. Yeah, you're, you're kind of in. teaching him not only to, like, you know, reserve, like, save money and stuff like that. And he sees me going to the credit union, putting in money or saving money. or, And I mean, like, every time he goes to the shop, he understands that he's not allowed to get something every time he goes. And, like, if he does, like, if he gets his pocket money every week, like, I give him, like, a tenner. I try to give him a tenner every week and because he is only just six, like, so I give him a tenner and he puts a fiver into the money box and then he's a fiver to spend. So now my Mind you, like, if my partner or someone like that takes him to the shop, he'll rob him blind, like, you know, whereas, <laughs> whereas with me, he's just like, he knows. And where do you stand on the issue of phones and, you know, when you'd when you'd allow a phone and the like, Christine? Well, like, he has, like, my old, my old phone there that, like, he's games on. And the only reason he has that is because, like, my phone and my battery is in grace. And if we're going somewhere in the car... Like, um, he, he plays the games on it and stuff like that. But, like, God, he won't be getting a SIM card in the phone until, like, well, he's the right age, you know, until he's responsible enough, I suppose. I don't I don't think there is a, an age to put on it. Like, my, my, I see my niece there. My niece is very mature for her age. And she got her phone, I think, according to first year. I'm really sure. I can't actually remember. But, um, mm. you know, it, it depends on the child's maturity. And the, the reason why I'm asking you is that we had a letter into dear Phil 
uh, last week. And it was again, it was about a seven-year-old who had access to online and that and ended up with information that made him curious more than anything else, I suppose, about the whole transgender thing. And then he was asking her questions and all of that sort of thing. So you, your boy would be seven as well. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, yeah, he's seven, he's seven after. Right, so as far yeah, as you're I'm, concerned, you, you, you wouldn't give him access at that age? Well, like, it's not that I wouldn't give him access. Like, he, if his phone died, he'd have mine, and he would have access to whatever, like, was, like, he, if he, you know, like, there's friends of mine that are, like, gay people, and he doesn't, he, he doesn't question it. It's just, like, normal. It's just, like, yeah, yeah. it's just, like, yeah, Mammy has her boyfriend, and then, yeah. Like, Mammy's friends has his boyfriend. And, you know, I wouldn't, like, push it. Like, if he found out something, I'd just explain to him as if it's normal. It is normal, like, you know. But, like, I'd just explain to him, like, you would, oh, yeah, Mammy and Daddy are, you know, that's two daddies or that's two mammies or, like, that that girl used that girl used to, You know, I'd explain to him. I just, I wouldn't make a big deal out of it at all. I'd just be like, yeah, no, she was born yeah. a girl, but she wanted to be a boy. She just felt like she was a boy and she was a boy and that's it. Isn't that lovely? You I have do. a lovely relationship with him though like, yeah know. but he, he understands he's very like you know he's resilient to anything like you know nothing nothing really faced him too much he, would, he doesn't make a big deal out of much well, that's, like, you that's know, down just... that's down to you you know that's down to you and congratulations yeah. to you because you know well, thank you I try my best to him but like it's the world we live in nowadays if if he's seen something there online like and so he has asked questions before about things and I've just explained to him I said look it's just this is the way it is now buddy and you know, like, there for a while, like, when I was single at the time, and he was like, why have I no daddy? And I'm just like, look, some people have mammies, some people don't have daddies, and that's just the way it is, but you have me and you have Nana, and we love you, and all that. And he's like, oh, that's okay, so, ma'am. And if he's in school making cards or whatever, he'll make one for my dad or my uncle or something. And now that I'm with someone, and he adores that person, like, so he's just like, he made him a birthday card this year, and that was great for him, like, you know. Isn't that lovely? So he just, he kind of goes with it, like, he, he just, kids are very resilient and, like, there's no need to be going into great depth of, you know, making the big story traumatising or making a big long rigmarole of it. You just explain it to someone quite simple. That's my point of view on it anyway, and that's the way I am with my son, so. Well, we have an awful lot to learn from you, Christine, that's for sure. It's lovely <clears> to talk to you today, and my best to your family as well. Thanks, Thanks Christine. Friend. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye bye to you now. Bye-bye. Bye. That's uh, Christine talking beautifully there about her son. I'm sure you'll agree. That's it for me. Emma produced and uh, Ali looks after her content and Stephen is on the way. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Hello to my grave before I go. Hello to lovely friends, um, Angela and Martin Pollard, because they were uh, with us over the weekend as well down in uh, Ennis. And Martin puts me to shame because he's so well-dressed and Angela is lovely and they're great old friends of ours. And uh, it was great to see them over the weekend as well. That's it for me. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.